does have it all. All of our pre-owned vehicles are Hubler Q certified, which include a 128-point vehicle inspection, a free Carfax vehicle history report, and two warranties. A two-year, 100,000-mile powertrain warranty and a 30-day, 1,000-mile comprehensive warranty. Visit any of our 13 locations today or click drivehubler.com. Hey, welcome in on this Wednesday. It's a hump day here on the Fan Wake Up Call, and thank you so much for waking up with us. He's Kevin Bowen. I'm Andy Sweeney. Mark Dykton producing today's effort. You know it's a Wednesday. We'll give you an update uh, on the Jonathan Taylor situation. A little Jim Bob Cooter sound maybe later on on JT. We can dive into that. I think we switch you know, basically for me to the Tennessee Titans as we get ready for Sunday there and Lucas Oil. We have Indiana, Mike Woodson bending the knee, Scott Dolson bending the knee to John Calipari. We can get into that, and otherwise, it's a busy show. Stephen Holder, ESPN, will join us coming up at 8 o'clock, his normal Wednesday at 8 o'clock. Dustin DePirac, we'll talk with him at about 8.30, and then NFL Network and former NFL exec Mark Ross will join us in the 9 o'clock hour. What do you do with JT? What about Shaq Leonard? What about the first four weeks of the NFL season? Busy, busy, busy on this Wednesday, and we appreciate you hanging out with us on The Fan. KB, a very happy morning to you, sir. Hey, good morning. How are you? Hey, I'm good, man. I feel like we should note that that on one try, Andy got... Dustin's last name correct. Dustin Dipirak? Jake, we had... We, Jake couldn't get it to save his life. <laughs> Jake struggled with that that name? and he has, Dilberak, Well, he's got courtside seats to the, the Pacers. Sun. You think he know one of the beat writers? What's everything going on with that? Sun. A lot of syllables well, being thrown in there. So, Dustin Dipirak's I had to write well, phonetics on the board a couple times. <laughs> yeah. mm-hmm. It's still screwed. Well, there words like, hooked that, on phonics. That you there there are words that... Uh, I, I butchered a word a day or two ago. I can't even remember what it was. I used to not be able to say Philadelphia. And that, obviously... they a bunch of teams that I hate, so you know you got to be able to say the the teams in the city that you hate. Mark, I've had Dustin on since he covered IU, mm-hmm. even back in Bloomington, and then I had him on when he left. And remember, he covered the Tennessee Volunteers yeah. for a couple yeah, years uh, d- down in Knoxville. So I have not spoken with him since I've been in Indian. I cannot wait to do so. So we'll talk with him at eight thirty. Hey, speaking of Dustin, I, a lot of people were like, "Hey, I really enjoyed the Rick Carlisle interview yesterday." That's Again, fantastic. For those that missed that. That is up on the podcast. The Pacers had their first training camp practice yesterday. We'll touch on, I think, what was the expected starting lineup. But again, Dustin's going to join us coming up at 8.30. Certainly, as Andy pointed out, the big news, I would say, in this market yesterday. And it takes a lot to probably supersede the Colts when you're in this season. But it is Indiana-Kentucky restarting. That rivalry, again, it's been 14 years. Yes, they have met in the NCAA tournament, actually twice since the Christian Watford shot. Uh, But you got to go back to 2011 for the last time these two programs met. Um, So basically, it's going to look like this. It's not happening this year. It's not happening next year. So we're out in the 2025 cycle. But they will meet in December starting in 2025 for four straight seasons. The order of those games, Andy, will be Rupp Arena, Lucas Oil, Rupp Arena again, (laughs) and then Assembly Hall to round it out. Yeah. Well, I mean, do you want to do this right now? Do you want to do this right now? I believe you just said that I want to do this right now. I mean, it's not, they're 100% bending the knee. 
Now, the question I have is, do Indiana fans care? KB, let me tell you something. Sometimes you've, um, you know when a player goes from one team to another and they're like, he knows all the signals that we're going to use. That came up last week. Remember, weren't the Dallas Cowboys like, we're worried about the Patriots because the Patriots signed Will Greer and they have Ezekiel Elliott and they're going to know, they're going to know our plan. They're going to know our signals. They're going to know what we're doing pre-snap. And obviously that game was a blowout and it didn't matter at all. It's just funny to talk about. We talk about those things in sports. I covered Kentucky basketball for like 15 years. They are laughing at this. Make no mistake about it. John Calipari, and this goes back months, okay? This was finalized yesterday, but this was going to be the setup for months. Back when I was on the radio following Kentucky basketball, John Calipari, knowing people close to Calipari. Calipari basically said, we're going to play Indiana and they're going to do it the way I want to do it. And if you're an Indiana fan, you may want to play these games. I've seen a lot of KB, well, it's good to play these games. And by the way, cut in at any time and tell me to shut up because this is a, to me, this is a big story that Scott Dolson and Mike Woodson said, we want to play these games so bad that we will give in to John Calipari, the emperor and the evil empire. Do you understand what I'm trying to tell you? Yeah. I mean, Cal, Cal wants to play in Lucas Oil. He loves to play away from Rupp Arena. He does. So, essentially, I know Indiana controls a lot of those tickets. Uh, okay, big boy. Let's see how much blue gets in because that's what they do. Kentucky fans are arrogant towards Indiana. They look down on Indiana. They view them as, if Indiana were on the schedule this year, fifth or sixth down the line on their non-conference schedule. And listen, I'm happy the games are going to be played. I also am, you know, if, if John Calipari is there on December 16th, 2028 to go back into Assembly Hall, then you might as well just say we won the lottery because there's about as good of a chance as 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 us winning the lottery as John Calipari still coaching in Lexington in 2028. Cal's a baby about Assembly Hall. He was a baby about the Watt shot, and 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 that's just the way it's going to be. And so everyone's patting everybody on the head. Ah, they're finally playing, and these two powerhouses should play. KB, they should play. I would agree with that. But if you're gonna play play John Calipari. Indiana had to bend the knee. That's the way it's being viewed, whether you like it or not. It's great that they're playing, but Indiana fans just know that Scott Dolson bent the knee. That's all you need to know. Yeah, I I, I think that's taking it to the extreme. Um, I think in the world of college athletics, sometimes you have to make sacrifices to try and recreate, I guess, one of the great college basketball rivalries that unfortunately uh, has not happened for the last decade plus. So, yeah, if you're an IU fan, do you look at it and say, man, I hate the Assembly Hall games, the fourth out of the four games on the schedule and, you know, 40,000 inside of Lucas Oil. I mean, I don't love that Lucas Oil end zone venue. Uh, that's what it'll be right. coming up. Right. It, they cut it in, in half. They have, they have the curtain. It almost looks like the old uh, where San Antonio played, the Spurs, right? Where they bring the, the Alamo curtain down. Dome. Yeah, the Alamo Dome. Yeah. They, doesn't that what it, that's what it looks like, I think. Not to get too like into the academic calendar, I don't love that it's deeper into December than it was when I was on campus in Bloomington. They were playing those games a week earlier. Um, these games are all going to be post-finals. So, I, you know, what's your kind of student look at those games when they are on campus? Uh, not a big fan of that. December 27th, does that just get lost in the Christmas shuffle a little bit? 
that's the date for the game. Yeah, I didn't even think about that. Yeah, I didn't think about that. I I wonder if there's a reason just with the NFL they're trying to be out of the way. I I don't know. I don't know why it would be December 27th. I'm with you. But I I would say more than anything, and I don't know, maybe I don't live on BBN message boards and Peeg's message boards, so (laughs) maybe I don't care that much about it. But, like, this is what college basketball should be about. If you are going to want kids to not go to Overtime Elite and G League Ignite and all of these different avenues that they can go to, you've got to have these rivalries a part of your basketball schedule because these moments, talk to any, I guarantee if you talk to Cody Zeller and Victor Oladipo and maybe insert NBA jokes about their careers here, I guarantee you one of, if not the greatest basketball memory they have is what happened on December 10th, 2011. And I guarantee if you ask Anthony Davis, that would be a game that he probably remembers more so than even some of the NBA stuff that he has done as well. So, I just, did I you bend the knee? I, who, pardon me, it's like, who cares? Like, the fact that the rivalry is back on, to me, is the only thing that matters. Sure, would you have seen, like to have seen a second game at Assembly Hall? Yeah, but unfortunately, again, in college athletics in this day and age, you have to make some sacrifices with it. And I will credit Mike Woodson big time, because that first year when he took over, the non-conference schedule was a joke. And all of a sudden, it's let's get home and home with Kansas. Mm-hmm. Let's play Arizona on a neutral floor. You'll see Auburn, which I think is a pretty respectable program. You'll see them this year down at Atlanta. Obviously, you're going to have this series starting up here in a couple of years. This is this happening because of Mike Woodson as well. If this his were relationship still, with if, Cal, if this were Archie Miller or if this were uh, you know fill in name of another coach, and, and I don't know who it would be, the chances of it happening. I guess KB, here's my thing. I live this battle between Indiana, Kentucky, and Louisville fans, where there is, when you say you're not on the message boards, that's the life that I lived, (laughs) okay? So the life that I have lived since this became official are BBN members making fun that Indiana bent the knee to, to to John Calipari and Calipari got his way. Now, I'm with you. The end result is a great end result for us. And ultimately, Indiana might be better. They might fill Lucas Oil, Lucas Oil, and it might be a fantastic atmosphere. In fact, it's going to be a fantastic atmosphere. But in this battle of like who won and who yeah, lost, I just don't a, care about what Big Blue but, Nation uh, thinks. But, yeah, but and like, but it, Indiana fans do. I, Indiana it, fans do, and Kentucky fans do. That's my point. I mean, both those programs should probably look in the mirror and realize that. In the last five to ten years, they have failed to meet whatever standard that has been created (laughs) from previous eras. That should probably be the bigger issue than who bent the knee to get this this relationship back started. Obviously, and I couldn't agree more to the point, will John Calipari even be the head coach of Kentucky? 2028? You know... (laughs) I'm not trying to play the age game here, but could you have the same question for Mike Woodson? Won't Woodson be 70 when that game rolls around? I mean, we are so far in the future with all of this. I do think, and we brought this up very briefly yesterday, Andy. If you look at the news items from the Big Ten yesterday, obviously the Indiana-Kentucky rivalry getting back started was the biggest news item. You also saw the Big Ten release their schedule and the TV slots Mm -hmm. for where their games are going to be played here this coming season. And Purdue and Indiana are both in the boat. Because when you think about major college basketball fan bases, especially in the Big Ten, Indiana and Purdue are near or at the top. Indiana certainly is at the top. And... 
I did not know this at the time, but I just kind of mentioned it in passing to you yesterday. One of those Indiana Purdue yeah. games is going to be on Peacock, and sure enough, one it's on of Peacock. it will be yeah. on Peacock coming up this year. And I went through the IU basketball schedule, and Purdue is in a very similar boat. I actually think Purdue has one more Peacock game than Indiana does coming up this year. If you want to watch Indiana's schedule or every IU basketball game this year, nine different channels, <laughs> nine different channels. You need. Okay, you need okay. two. Can I li- can I list them? Two streaming services. Uh, okay, yeah. so, so I mean, B- Big Ten Network. Okay, I'm gonna go Big Ten Network Plus. Okay, uh, ESPN, ESPN Two. Uh, is there an? I, I'm guessing is there an ESPN Plus in there? Can they do that contractually? There is an ESPN U. Oh, ESPN U. So if that you would be. Go with that. Yeah, so the, so there's that, five. That would be five. Uh, those Sunday CBS games. Huh? Right. So that's six. Oh my goodness! What would be? There's three more. Well, who's the spearheader of all of this Big Ten realignment? Well, it's Fox. So you're going to okay. have a Fox. Now, does that go Fox, Fox and FS1? FS1. So that would put us at seven, or yeah. is that eight? That's eight. And Mark, go ahead and play the noise. Oh boy! There's your ninth. <laughs> So nine different channels to watch Mike Woodson's boys this season. (laughs) Two of those will be on streaming surfaces. Shouldn't cause any confusion at all. No, (laughs) no confusion at all. And and, and Purdue is in a very similar boat. I don't want to act like this is just an Indiana thing. Again, Purdue's got one more Peacock game. But we knew this would happen. Like, Indiana's five Peacock games. At Michigan, at Rutgers, at Ohio State. Purdue, and Wisconsin. I would say those qualify as five games that Indiana fans would like to watch. Indiana fans want to watch North Alabama. Better get six bucks a month. Against the Hoosiers. Six bucks a month for the basketball season. Activated here in November, November, December, January, February. There you go. Maybe March. You're going to spend 35, 30, you know, 35, 40 bucks on it. Get a free trial here and there. (laughs) Boy, you better hope that free trial extends into the spring months. Oh, they want you to do the free trial because you auto pay it on Apple Pay and it takes six bucks a month yeah, out of, I'm just, of your account like just me. Just do some multiple emails. That's I think I bought it. Peacock. I think I did the free trial back when Notre Dame, I want to say Notre Dame Toledo oh, might yeah. have been the first uh, game I remember Notre Peacock, Dame. Oh yeah. And literally, I'm just like, wait, well, I kind of want to watch that IndyCar <laughs> qualify. They, uh, what? They, they got you forever, KB. Yeah. You, will, you will die whenever you die. Here you I am. You will die with $6. By then it will be freaking 60, Peacock. Yeah, by then it will be $66 with inflation. Listen, I don't want to be too I'm just, I'm giving the other side. I understand yeah. where you're coming from. I'm giving the other side where there's a bunch of internet terrorists on both sides <laughs> of this rivalry, especially <laughs> Kentucky fans who are saying, you stink so much that you gave in to John Calipari and BBN. But this I'm is why you. we need to play the games. But I, Listen, but I'm with you that I'm happy this is back. Calipari has been a baby about the damn watch shot, and that's so all there I was to it. So fans counter and say, well, last time we met in the NCAA tournament, we beat you. Last time we met in the regular season, we beat you. Like, Absolutely. This is why the games sure. just frankly need to be played. And yes, bend the knees, Scott Nelson, Mike Wilson, however you want to describe it, I'm glad that these parties could get something on paper. I don't think it's the end of the world. That again, it's two at Rupp, one at Lucas Oil, one at Assembly Hall. Part of me thought, you know, can we get the Yum Center involved in this? Didn't we used to do Freedom Hall? Well, well you, you you can't do that because Louisville has a stranglehold on the Yum Center, and Louisville is so. 
uh, uh, hyper hypersensitive about Kentucky being in their arena. Like when that game, when Kentucky and Louisville is played at Louisville, a ton of Kentucky fans are there and they're cheering and Blue got in and, and they buy sure. the tickets and Louisville fans whine to other Louisville fans, why did you sell your tickets for, you know, hundreds of dollars on the spot to pay for the rest of your season ticket package in one damn game? There's no oh, nation. college basketball, look at that on the day JT was supposed to practice. No nation like Big Blue Nation. Yes, uh, walk through today for the Colts. Again, Jonathan Taylor, the latest on that. We will chat about it. Um, Anthony Richardson, I think a few other things that trickled out of Sunday's game that I want to touch on as well. We will have Stephen Holder join us coming up at 8 o'clock. I know he had a conversation with Chris Ballard post-game on Sunday. Some interesting thoughts from the Colts GM on that. Speaking of Colts GMs, you guys brought up Mark Ross at 9 o'clock. He was actually one of the finalists mm-hmm. when the Colts hired Ryan Grigson back in 2012. So Mark Ross, former NFL scout and executive, he's going to join us coming up at 9 o'clock. And we will look back on Pacers' opening day of training camp, what their starting lineup was. Touch on a little bit of that with their preseason opener coming up Sunday against the Grizzlies. Good Wednesday morning to you. It is the wake-up call with KB and Andy. I'm Kevin Bowen. He's Andy Sweeney. Mark Dykted with us as always. Thanks for tuning in here to 93.5107.5 The Fan. The Morning Checkdown. Omaha! 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 On 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. All right, on this Wednesday, your morning check down. Obviously, we talked a lot of Indiana and Kentucky in that first segment. Four games upcoming beginning December 20th, 2025. The teams will play. So, however they got there, they got there. We'll continue to talk about that. The biggest news yesterday, Major League Baseball. Uh, do you guys know how many postseason losses in a row it had been for the Minnesota Twins? Boy, I, I did not know it until it's unbelievable. that was the big stat yesterday. Yeah. 18. 18, right? Yeah. Since 18. 04. Yeah, and they finally broke the record. 3-1 winners there over the Blue Jays. Rangers over the Rays. That's one I gave you. Diamondbacks over the Brewers, 6-3. And Philly, crazy crowd there, 4-1 over the Marlins. Yeah, Zach Wheeler pretty good there for Philly. So all four of those games again today and any of the winners from yesterday, if they win today, they move on. It's just a best of three series here in the wild card round. You think uh, Joel Erickson's sweating his Brewers right now? Uh, I feel yeah. bad for I Joel. I think Joel's a great dude, so I'm naturally going to feel bad when his fandom doesn't go his way. Uh, they were up 3-0 early yep. on, mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden Diamondbacks got going, played a little add-on there in the uh, end of that game. So 6-3 Diamondbacks over the Brewers there on the road in Game 1. Uh, all right, we mentioned it yesterday with Rick Carlisle, the opening of Pacers training camp. The early starting lineup look from yesterday was this. It was Tyrese Halliburton, of course, Miles Turner, of course. The other three spots occupied by Bruce Brown, Benedict Matherin, and Obi Toppin. So that meant Buddy Heald in the second unit, Jarris Walker, the top 10 pick from this past year, also in the second unit. Andy, I think that was mm-hmm. kind of the expected starting lineup. Yeah, I agree. Just to see it actually on the floor, uh, that was something obviously that's different. Yeah, the big thing for me is Obi Toppin never got, and we talked about this, and we'll talk with Dustin about this at 8.30, Obi never got a chance with the Knicks for whatever reason, right? They took him. Uh, yeah, Julius was, Randall's uh, presence. Uh, Ju- yeah, Julius Randall was a main reason, but you know there were games where this dude wasn't getting much run at all, and this is his chance. We talk about having a chance and taking hold of it. We talked about that with some of the young corners with the Colts, uh, and to me, this is Obi Toppin's career. You know, this is his career 
clear chance to play a lot and to be a starter, and I'm not surprised he was out there early on. I remember back when this um, signing happened, if you look at Obi Toppin's starting numbers, again, didn't start a ton with the Knicks, but it is very impressive, the type of production and the shooting. He's a career 32% guy, so it's like, well, that's not great. But that's something that when he started, that number has skyrocketed percentage-wise. And a lot of the Pacers players have mentioned in their respective workouts and you know the mini camp they did in Nashville over the weekend, they have been impressed by Obi Toppin as a shooter. So right now, that four position has been an issue for the Pacers in years past. It looks like uh, the former top 10 pick out of Dayton is going to get the early crack at that. Um, again, Andy, today it'll be a walkthrough for the Colts. So I believe this is due to the back-to-back overtime games that they have had. Slash, the injuries are starting to grow, but I am curious this, and we'll find out later today. Are there a couple of other injuries that we don't know about that have contributed to this news? Because when you look at it, where they're banged up right now is particularly O-line, D-line. You know, it, Bernard Ryman probably wouldn't practice today. Quentin Nelson, we know, has done the right. early maintenance with the toe. each week with the toe. Ryan yep. Kelly's in concussion protocol. You flip over to the defensive line. Quiddy Pay's in concussion protocol. I'd assume DeForest Buckner is probably going to be maintenance early in the week. But still, I mean, it's not like they're missing 13 dudes. So I'm curious, anybody else that maybe developed an injury coming out of Sunday that's contributing to this? We did see yesterday Dallas Flowers officially moved to injured reserve. Uh, no veteran cornerback move outside of they brought um, Darren Hall, a guy that was on the practice squad who'd started a few games with Atlanta the past couple of years, uh, back onto the practice squad. Uh, so look for Jalen Jones and Daryl Baker Jr. to be competing for those reps and Juju Brents, he's now an every snap guy. <laughs> every snap again. Again, a week and a half. We were wondering what the hell's going on with this guy. Well, in three weeks, if he's not playing, it's gonna be it's gonna be a big issue. He does what he did in the Baltimore game, the good and bad you saw last week, and now hey, you're gonna be playing ninety plus percent of the snaps out there on Sunday, big guy. Welcome to the NFL. <laughs> Welcome to the Colts cornerback position. Anything else on your end? No, I just I'm la- I'm just laughing. I went to ESPN.com, and you know when the Giants on Monday Night Football, Mark will love this. They did the tush push. They, mm-hmm. What the Eagles have done in the you got a couple guys hurt, yeah, they, right? Yeah, they, the Giants got two guys, uh, a, 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 a starting tight end, or a, a blocking tight end, and a starting offensive lineman got injured on that play. Peyton said you got to push the right butt cheek specifically. They yeah. must not have done well, that. Well, one on the left butt cheek, one on the right butt mm-hmm. cheek, and one up the middle. I believe that's boy, what Peyton that's, Manning that's said. A, that's a... <laughs> That's a whole it's a visual situation. It's a visual. Yeah, he had a little comment there late, Peyton, that I don't know. Yeah. Oh boy. <laughs> yeah, FCA might not might not love. Oh, you that can say one there. you can say anything at uh, 10, 10 o'clock yeah, at night, can't you? On cable television, you can say just about anything. A couple of kind of nerdy notes from Anthony Richardson over the weekend that I wanted to get to. Looking back on his performance, a lot of praise from Sean McVay. By the way, we could touch on that. I know it will certainly get to a little bit on the Jonathan Taylor front. And should there be concern about Shaquille? Leonard now four games into his return to the lineup. Stephen Holder coming up at 8. Dustin DePirac talk Pacers at 8.30. Former NFL scout Mark Ross at 9 o'clock. Good Wednesday morning to you. It's a wake-up call with KB. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, 
and everything in between. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Andy. Yeah, thanks for waking up with us, hanging out. It's a wake-up call, drivehubler.com studios. He's Kevin Bowen. I'm Andy Sweeney. Take us wherever. Take us to work, 1075thefan.com. Download the free app in the Google or Apple Store. Plus, check out the podcast directly following the show. Busy show today. Stephen Holder will join us coming up in the next 30 minutes. Uh, KB, I have a question I want to get to at some point. It can be here. It can be down the line on Jonathan Taylor. Uh, as we get ready to kind of see, you know, at, at some point, Jonathan Taylor is going to have to flip his cards, right? Were you ever into poker, by the way? Oh, did, yeah. Did, yeah, did yeah. Chris Moneymaker get <laughs> oh, you yeah. into, into Phil poker? Ivey's <laughs> Texas Hold'em at Cody's uh-huh. house. <laughs> Hell, yeah. Kyle Klein had a big old seventh grade uh, did he really? poker tournament that I was able so to it, uh, cash. Who you what? boys need more bagel bites down there? Was, Mom, it, was, it, Hel- was it Hellmuth who did it Phil for you? Phil Hellmuth. I hated that dude. Poker Brat didn't do it for you? Was it Chris Moneymaker? I mean, Moneymaker for <laughs> Sure, but again, Phil Ivy. I don't know if I've ever seen the dude smile. <laughs> Phil Ivy. Phil Ivy said, "If Phil you... Ivy to steal phrase from Shane Steichen, he's all poker. Didn't he get in he's trouble? All ball. Did he get in trouble for something? I want to say wore like the sunglasses. Daniel Negron. That was money maker. Kid with the poker sunglasses. I was it... like, you have to be a terrible poker player if your tell is like, I have to wear sunglasses so no one can see what I'm <laughs> well, doing. Well, that's Dike... probably why you weren't a successful poker. Mark player, is Mark. crapping all over old Texas uh, Texas Hold'em players from 15, 20 years ago." <laughs> Kid Poker, D- Daniel Dugani, I don't yeah, know. That's sure. a Jonathan Taylor. At some point, we're all going to have to flip our cards over, uh, and we're, we're going to see what's up with Jonathan Taylor. I guess I'm just a little bit, is it is it considered, would it, will it be considered practice today by the national media if he's out there with the team doing whatever you do in a walkthrough no, I mean, in the it, NFL? Will that count I, in any sort of way? Will that lead the NFL network? I guess, but again, it's a walkthrough. Um, he's not going to show up on the injury report this week, so let's just let's try to get ahead of some of these storylines that you're going to see here. Um, and I think Shane Seiken made it pretty clear on Monday. You know, we've got to see him with a with pads on. We've got to see him in a football practice. It's one thing to run around and do stuff versus air. It's another thing to actually, you know, participate in a football activity that you have not participated in. We are nearing ten months, and again, I, I think we need to reiterate. Andy, like Jonathan Taylor was very, very conservative, maybe, about his body last year in terms of how much he wanted to test it. I think he still played through some stuff, but I thought there were times throughout a week where he practiced on a Wednesday or Thursday. I'm like, oh, yeah, he's going to play on Sunday. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, nah, mm-hmm. I'm not going right. to play. And now you throw all the contract drama on top of it. And I'm curious, just again, how willing, how eager he is to get back out there if he doesn't feel, you know, again, and we can, you know, debate how much the physical impact has been there. I think a couple things on Taylor. One, whenever he does make his return, and I know this isn't the juiciest NFL Network headline, but you know who needs a little bit of relief right now? 
Zach Moss. Zach Moss, yeah. I mean, Zach no Moss's NFL career is four years old now, and the last three games, Andy, are the three highest snap count games of his career. That is not sustainable for 17 games. So you just need to, if you, if we want to talk in the short term, 2023, it's week five, Colts are two and two. How do they win the AFC South? Zach Moss can't be playing as much as he's playing for you to have him there in November and December in whatever capacity that you need. And also, I think at the end of this, Andy, it is a big-time positive, but I think there is the initial uncertainty with it. You watch the Colts' offense, particularly their run game, it is a whole lot of timing involved. It's a lot of decision-making from Anthony Richardson with zone reads and things like that. That means you need to rep it. Mm -hmm. That means you need practice reps. And let's look back on Jonathan Taylor's collegiate career. He didn't have Anthony Richardson at Wisconsin. We know how Wisconsin's (laughs) rushing offense looks. It doesn't look like how the Colts run it. And, I mean, the Colts, I think it's an extremely dynamic run game if you throw Taylor into the mix. I think Shane Steichen's creativity plus the presence of Richardson, Moss spelling things, I think it has a lot of potential. But still, the timing of it, you know, working with Richardson, all of those things, that's not something Taylor has done. And, you know, certainly look at the quarterbacks he had in his first couple NFL seasons. They weren't doing that at all. So I think that's another element to this that it will be important for Taylor to get these practice reps, officially the practice reps starting tomorrow after a walkthrough today. You are down, and I guess I'll try to pin you down on a percentage. You don't feel like Jonathan Taylor's playing this week. And I would agree with you. I think you're stronger than I am on this. Maybe I'm thinking worst-case scenario, Andy, but like... The dude is missed. We added it up yesterday. I believe 53-ish straight practices. I cannot recall a time in the history of covering the NFL that I've ever seen a dude miss that much time, return after two practices, and play in the game. Now, the one reason why I'm like, okay, the door is not completely shut on it is because he plays a position where you could have three to five carries in a game, mm-hmm. and that's all right. your running back role is. Plus, we just have this awkward health, rehab, football shape situation that we don't know. Like, what has he been doing behind the scenes? Again, to me, it still is a little bit different being in a practice, being we, in a we game have a ten, setting. We have a 10-second video. We have a vine, yes, basically, literally. of Jonathan Taylor. Catching a ball out of the backfield, right? Not even <laughs> yeah. running it necessarily. Catching a ball out in the flat for four and a half yards. And you know, part of me thinks it'd be best for all parties if it just waited until Jacksonville. Do well, the road game. Don't do it against the top-ranked rushing defense in the NFL where you've got a couple offensive linemen banged up in front of you. Like, If he were to play on Sunday, you would have the awkward conversation of like, should we announce him? Should we be worried about how much should we show him on the jumbo truck? Like, all of those things <laughs> that might sound so stupid, those would be conversations. Whereas if he goes, if he waits a week, and all of a sudden he goes to Jacksonville and rushes for, I don't know, 80 yards on 14 carries, he's going to come back and get a pretty warm reception mm-hmm. inside of Lucas Oil Stadium if they were to win the, game. the week after that there. So um, I, I am thinking, maybe I'm thinking a little worst-case scenario, Andy, but I just am like, boy, if he goes out there and plays five to seven carries and aggravates an injury, that is not only awful for Jonathan Taylor, it's awful for the Colts too. Uh, you know, there's a lot of things with Jonathan Taylor here, uh, and, I, and I would agree with you for the most part that the chance of seeing him play on Sunday is probably, or at least seeing him play very much. Now, I, the other part of this, I would love it if they just pulled the Band-Aid off and they just, <laughs> they just threw him out there and he was feeling good and, and 
it was a hold-in, if you will, and everyone's feeling good and you move on. You know, there's two things for me. Number one would be, you mentioned Zach Moss. With the injuries that are compiling in the NFL, and with the injuries especially, KB, that are compiling right now with the Indianapolis Colts, you look at Zach Moss and, you know, that position doesn't get paid because it is often injured, right? And you are so damn thin at that position. It's like, yes, you need Jonathan Taylor because you can win more games. It's better for Anthony Richardson. It's better for the team. No doubt it's better for JT. All of those things on the table, but they don't have anyone besides Zach Moss. Deion Jackson was cut, and Trey Sermon's getting like one yard every time he touches the ball. Okay, and that may be his fault. It may not be his fault. I don't know. But, you know, you take Zach Moss from this team. We've talked about linemen and corners and everything else. Good God, if you took Zach Moss and Jonathan Taylor were not ready against the Tennessee Titans or the Jacksonville Jaguars, I don't even know where you would go. I don't know, like, how many yards would Trey Sermon, what would his over-under be if he was the starting running back against the Tennessee Titans. And then the other thing for me, I got think I wrote this down last night is something I wanted to mention uh, and talk about. You know, with the go back to the Indiana Kentucky basketball discussion that we had. People like to feel that they're getting one over on another fan base or that they're winning an argument, right? If me and you get into an argument on Sports Talk Radio, one of us is going to want to feel that we walk away with a, that, that, with a win. That is natural, right? I, I think that is that is pretty yeah. natural. If JT comes back and he's playing in these games, do the Colts feel like they won the battle? With with JT now, there's going to be another battle right. later in the year after the season. The franchise tag, all of those things, we're going to get to another battle, and that might be the bigger war. Uh, but I don't know if JT doesn't get traded. If the NFL didn't say, "Sure, we'll offer you all of this compensation," uh, do the Colts sit back and say, "You know"? Ballard and Arce saying, you know, maybe we did play this one right. We, we, you know, we went two and two, and then we got Taylor back, and now we got a chance to win some games, and he may not like us, but he's going to be playing for $4 million this year in Lucas Oil for us. I just wonder. Yeah, that seems a little bit too short-term for me to declare a winner. I, I feel like it's a little bit more of a we will have to wait to declare a winner, per se, down the road. I know it's not necessarily the answer that makes for great radio on October 4th here on a Wednesday morning, but... I look more at this Taylor situation as, you know, is there a hanging cloud that continues for the next few months? Is he gone after the 2023 season? And now you're a bit in scramble mode of, again, what do these pieces look like next to Anthony Richardson? That's where I kind of view a little bit more of it. I, I don't know if you can say, even if, like, let's say Taylor comes back and, you know, whatever, has a nice end to this 2023 season and, I don't know, he signs a two-year extension with the Colts. It's hard to just all of a sudden hold everybody's hand and raise them up like they just won a boxing match and say, right. you know, winners, winners. Like right. It was still a pretty ugly situation. It's been bad PR for the Colts. A very public situation. Right. And at some point, that is sitting there in the brain of Anthony Richardson. I don't know if it's ever going to matter, but it is a negative situation that Anthony Richardson had to witness in his first NFL offseason. And it might you know, be brushed under the rug and it might never matter again. Or if things begin to go awry, it might be something that all of a sudden Richardson and his camp one day are like, gosh, that was handled so ugly. Boy, I, I, I did not like that at all. That was disappointing to see. I didn't feel the support mm-hmm. back then. Um, speaking of Richardson, I, I do have a couple of yeah, sure, fire away. little nerdy things to throw at you from Sunday. I was watching last night 
a Sean McVay does a coach's show with the Rams, and he had a really um, just kind of out of the blue comment about Richardson. It was an Aaron Donald play that I think DeMarco Farr might be the radio analyst for the Rams, and all of a sudden he briefly mentions Richardson and you know, Sean McVay in the very McVay voice. You know how he can kind of like randomly interject and get a little bit high pitched. He's just like he's a freaking stud talking about Richardson. And, you know, said the guy's a problem and had plenty of praise for Shane Steichen. And I thought something on Sunday that we didn't hit on a whole lot exiting Monday. But if you look at Richardson there in week four, Andy, he threw the ball downfield, attempting to throw Mm -hmm. the ball downfield and completed passes down the field better than any quarterback in the NFL last week. And again, there are plenty of numbers that I won't bore you with to back that up. But that is a huge reason why you drafted him of you look at the box score and you see 44%. And that's an ugly, ugly looking number. He had one of the worst expected completion percentages in the NFL last week. Again, that's a number that has to climb. But the reason why you said he can be an inconsistent thrower is because we'll offset that with more big plays down the field. Week one, when he played against Jacksonville, that was dink and dunk central. Mm-hmm. It was. That was Gardner Minshew, Gardner Minshew offense. playing quarterback. Right. You did not see that on Sunday. And I think, honestly, more of it has to do with the, his creativity to make some extra plays happen, make some outside-of-the-pocket throws. And that's the other angle, Andy, that I'm going to watch. I went back and... Again, this is kind of a rough chart of it, but I went back and looked at all 25 throws from Richardson, and I was curious, okay, inside the pocket, I felt like that was a struggle for him on Sunday. Outside the pocket, I thought it was, if you're a Rams fan, oh bleep. Here comes a big play. Well, that's why we harped on the final possession there. When All every, three passes when, yeah, inside when, the pocket. When everything was yeah. in the pocket, where everything that they had been having success at the previous you know quarter and a half had been you know moving the pocket and Anthony Richardson creating. I can understand McVay. They get a defensive lineman you know shooting the gap and going after Anthony Richardson. He roll out to his right and hit Josh Downs. <laughs> you know whose computer was that? Was that mine? Was that mine again? Yeah. We still haven't figured Computer that out. out. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I just good. have ESPN.com up. That's oh, all I good have. To get, get the morning email at yeah. 748. Uh, Richardson inside the pocket. Okay. Right, let's go outside the pocket first. Okay, outside, outside the, the pocket, pocket. When he was making, I thought, his most playmaking, he was 5 of 6. Think about the Mo Alley Cox touchdown. Mm-hmm. That's a play outside mm-hmm. the pocket. He had a big throw to Ogletree. The fourth downer to, to uh, Granson outside the pocket. The two-point play that doesn't factor into these stats. The two-point play to Zach Moss outside the pocket. Andy, if you look inside the pocket then, again, 5 of 6 outside. Inside the pocket, he was 6 of 19. So that is... You know, it's bad. Thirty-ish percent. Yeah. So these are areas that you certainly want to make strides in, and it is why late in the game, when you had an opportunity to win it there in regulation, I could not believe we watched three. I like what Shane Sykes done with Anthony Richardson a ton. Cannot reiterate that enough. I hated that final drive. The fact that you kept him in the pocket for all three throws. And the first two really didn't have a chance. The third one with Granson, you know, who knows, 50-50, did the Rams DB get a hand in there? But to me, that all of a sudden allowed Aaron Donald to just rush and not have to worry about, you know, oh boy, is he going to get out of the pocket and do I need to readjust my pass rush plan? And, you know, one of those things, Andy, where if you see Aaron Donald on one of those final three plays lined up opposite Blake Freeland, I would think a rollout to the right 
would be pretty advantageous to avoid Donald and then also play to Richardson's strengths. So, again, that is something that I, I'm going to be watching for moving forward. I guess both those items. One is, do we see more of the downfield stuff that we saw from Richardson more than anybody in the NFL on Sunday? And then two, inside the pocket versus outside the pocket. Well, let me ask you this. Um how much of this is, and I feel like Lamar Jackson early in his career, you know, following him at college. In college, you can run any offense, right? Like, fans don't care. The quarterback can run, and the quarterback doesn't have to run. Hell, anybody can run, and like, fans aren't like picking apart, okay, our offense looks like this. It's got to be this way. In the NFL, Lamar Jackson got a lot of, you got to throw from the pocket when that wasn't his strength, and he's got much better at that. You see that this year. With, with a you know at a period in time and I don't know what it is right now I'd have to look but a completion percentage that was up over 70 75 percent and he was you know he was good I mean he he was pretty efficient against Cleveland but people were harping on that and, and the the other argument was well that's not what he's good at but the NFL you still you need to be able to do that it doesn't need to be the best part of your game but you still have you can't be 30 30 40 completion percent that's, I guess, how I feel, and I guess that would be kind of the comparison with Anthony Richardson is as much as Steichen can run AR, as much as he uh, can get outside, as elusive he can be, whether it's part of the play, rolling the pocket, or it's just him, uh, the offensive line gives in and Richardson does what he does. Like The, the other side of it, Steichen probably has to think, we, we still have to be able to do this. And this is part of the maturation that, that he misses when he misses a game and a half. Yeah. Right? I mean, when you look at that 6 of 19, to get better at that, you have to do that. And that's going to be probably the part of his game, don't you think, that Steichen will have to grow the most? We know he can run. We know getting out of the pocket is his strength. Um, it's just... It, but but to win games, him him being in the pocket throwing throwing passes is not. I mean, it, it's not going to be six of nineteen, but it's not going to be sixty five percent completion percent. And obviously, either. NFL teams are going to see this, Andy, and they're going to try to do their best at keeping him in the pocket. You often hear that when the Colts mm-hmm. face Lamar Jackson, keep him in the well. You know, don't let him get out to where it gets to be backyard football, and you're at the mercy of one of the more athletic freaks in the entire NFL. And I, I go back to a Chris Ballard quote, and, and John is kind of asking this as well. John just tweeted at me. Something I've been thinking about with Richardson is do we have a smaller window? Like at some point his legs is going will go or they won't be as effective as they are. Again, that's a little bit more of a down the road. It, it, it brings up a conversation, Andy, that you and I had a couple weeks ago. What does Richardson look like at 26? What does he look like at 28? I mean, those are questions that I do have. I don't want to focus too much on that. but no, just, That's when he hits 30 to me. But just look at the careers of Michael Vick. Look at the careers of Robert Griffin III. You know, any sort of dual threat quarterbacks that you want to throw in there, those guys did not have a ton of staying power You know, eight, ten years into their careers. But again, just focusing in the here and now, Ballard has said before, at some point, and this is talking about quarterbacks, at some point, you have to deliver from the pocket mm-hmm. because yeah. either a team is forcing you right. to deliver from the pocket or injuries arise and you just can't be this dynamic Your body's not what out it was. of the pocket right. or yes you're not yeah you're just not what it is you're not what you were at 21 so again these are just all i think little items throughout this first season for Anthony Richardson to point out that you see and it doesn't mean 
you know, end all be all, but I think these are things to watch how they evolve. Um, are they trends we see week in and week out? Because coming up on Sunday, Andy, the hope there is as long as he makes it to halftime, that's the longest stretch he's played in his NFL career. So, you know, it, it's now like, okay, stack two or three weeks together. How does that look now in month number two of his NFL career? All right, on the other side, Stephen Holder is going to join us. Again, he had an interesting conversation with Chris Boward I want to ask Stephen about. And also the Jonathan Taylor side of it. The Colts are singing kumbaya on how Taylor feels. Stephen's been pretty plugged in to both sides of the story. Does he feel like the same thing is there with Jonathan Taylor? I should mention this, and I almost apologize for even bringing it up because I didn't really vet this, but I had someone reach out to me, Andy, last night, one of our listeners, and say, and they preface by saying, Kevin, I'm sorry to even ask you this question, but I do find it uh, somewhat relevant. They had been scrolling through the Colts Instagram likes, <laughs> okay. and they noticed Let's that go. I love this. on the announcement about Taylor making his return on Wednesday. Okay. Less Colts players liked that picture than they normally have been liking. <laughs> Fantastic. That's the kind of data I need. When you say I don't live on Peeg's message board, that guy does. Oh. I like that list. No, he's got a Peeg's account he's on and Instagram. he's got a Big Blue Nation account. You're damn right He's he on does. both boards. You're Lots, damn of right Lots of tinfoil, too, apparently. <laughs> Lots of tinfoil. So, uh, Stephen Holder's probably going to hate me for asking that, but whatever. I'll throw it his way. All right. Well, uh, Stephen Holder joins us next. All right, busy, busy, busy on this Wednesday. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Say, hanging on the drivehubler.com studios. Reminder, Colts happy hour on Friday at 6 o'clock. And then on Sunday, we'll get you ready, beginning with JMV at 9 a.m. KB usually going about 9.15 or so with him. Colts and Titans pregame beginning at 9 a.m. All the pregame, all the, you know, obviously, Maytay and company will have the call. And then the postgame show with Greg Rakestraw and company, they'll have you uh, as we get you ready for week five of the NFL season. Dustin DePirac going to join us at 8.30. Mark Ross, former NFL uh, executive and now insider for the NFL Network. He'll join us coming up at 9 o'clock. All right, let's talk to him. You know it's 8 o'clock on a Wednesday. And on the Payless Liquors Hotline, it's Stephen Holder who follows the Colts for ESPN.com. Stephen, a very good morning to you. How are you? I'm doing well. Uh, we will see what today or this week brings, but uh, looking forward to it. Yeah, no, it's uh, it's going to be a busy week, and we cannot wait. Uh, Shane Steichen speaking on Monday. I think KB used the word kumbaya. The Colts putting a smile on the entire Jonathan Taylor situation. Uh, what did you make of what Steichen had to say and what could happen, what may happen this week? <laughs> well, I mean, for a guy who went to extreme lengths to not talk about Jonathan Taylor for like the last two months. <laughs> he went to great lengths on Monday to, to tell us how much he loves Jonathan Taylor and to tell us uh, what a great player he is and, and what an addition he will be. I, it's the most expansive, I think, Shane Steichen has ever been on like any damn thing ever. I'm not kidding. Like It was very surreal, in fact. Now, that has nothing to do with whether Jonathan Taylor is – 
is where he needs to be, you know, in terms of with the team and mentally and in uh, and, and terms of his his happiness. I, I have no idea on any of that, but I thought it was striking and, and more than a little notable uh, just how forceful Shane Steichen's comments were. So, and I, as Kevin pointed out, I think that Shane Steichen saying that that he had had productive conversations with Jonathan Taylor is is a promising thing. So, so we'll see. I, we don't have all the answers yet, but but these are definitely. This is definitely a different direction, I would say. Steven, two questions for you. What is your biggest question to Jonathan Taylor? Slash, do you get any indication from the Taylor camp that they have mended or quieted down their stance with how the Colts have handled this situation? Okay, so the the first tell me again the first question you said. Yeah, was, sorry, I was uh, awful radio uh, by me asking you two questions. Uh, <laughs> what is the biggest question you have for Jonathan Taylor? Yeah. All right, so I, I'll answer that one first. I I think for for Jonathan Taylor, the first question. I mean, look, there will be a lot of talk about okay, what was really going on with the ankle, and and I I think that's important. I don't think it's the most important thing though, because we all kind of realize what this was and I don't have to spell it out for you okay that's not the most important thing for me I think the biggest thing is more how do you move forward and what does the future hold because even if this is settled now and and actually settled is definitely the wrong word like it's not settled he's just if he ends up playing here and and this moves forward like it appears it will all that means is that he just kind of ran out of options (laughs) so Mm -hmm. I just wonder what does the future hold and how do you conduct yourself moving forward when the team still has control over him? You can say what you want, but I fully expect them to use the franchise tag. All right, they can they can say they're not going to, but if there's no deal, they're going to use the franchise tag. Like, this is not hard. So anyway, that's the first thing. Uh, on your, your second question in terms of whether Taylor and his camp have, have kind of modified their stance, I would say my conversations – have suggested that that they have not completely backed off from where they were. However, I would also say that I don't think things are as heated as they were, for sure. That is definitely clear to me. I, I don't get that sense at all, and I'm talking about from, from both sides. I don't know who took the first step. I can't speak to that. But but I definitely sense that that there has been kind of a – you know, a, a breather has been taken by the parties where it's just not as inflamed as it was, um, I would say, a month ago. You know, when, when this thing came to a head uh, with the, the potential trade talks and, and all of that, you know, it was it was kind of at a zenith at that point. You know, um, I, I don't think we're there at right now. That does not mean it's settled, but I'm just saying that is a difference in posture. Stephen Holder with us here on the Wake Up Call on the Fan on a Wednesday. Files the Colts for ESPN.com. All the factors that go into him potentially playing, whether it be this week or next week, uh, do you want to bring him back when it's a, it's a home game against a great defensive front with the Titans? Uh, how does his body feel? We don't know that. How much can he learn the system? If he comes back, would he would you ease him into it? You know, maybe five, six carries instead of 26 carries. Uh, there are so many factors that go go 
into it. What do you think those factors are? And I guess, what do you think happens this week? Uh, you know, we KB did the numbers, 53, 54 practices. He hasn't been on the field with the Colts since December 15th of last year. It's a long time, no question about it. And, and he's missed a lot. Now, that being said, he he has been, or at least through training camp, he was he was there for, for most of training camp. And we presume in the meetings with his offensive teammates. So that definitely makes a difference. And that's, that's a factor here uh, in, from a positive perspective. That means that he has an understanding of the scheme. Now, whether he's been in all of the meetings uh, recently where he's kind of been rehabbing and then kind of departing from the facility, at least in previous weeks, you know, I can't speak to that. I, I don't know what his level of involvement has been lately. But Jonathan Taylor is not an idiot. He's played a lot of football, and I think you can get him involved at least on a limited basis as he is now. And and that will boil down to you know, just uh, his, his conditioning level and those kinds of things. But all of the indicators I've gotten on that have been positive. And I thought even running backs coach uh, DeAndre Smith last week telling me that you know he, he looks great in, in his words. Quote, he looks great in his workouts. So – uh, he was effusive in his his praise for for Jonathan Taylor's uh, physical state right now. So there's a lot of positives that indicate Jonathan Taylor is ready to play football. That does not mean he plays this week, but but I think leaving the door open for him to play this week says a lot. And and I don't think it's just talk. I don't necessarily expect it, but I I'm also not ruling it out because this guy. It's not as if this guy came off an ACL tear. I mean, this was just sort of a, sort of a nagging ankle. It's been in decent shape for quite some time from all appearances. So I don't think that's really even a factor here. This is about conditioning and just, you know, will he, will he be able to go out there and play without hurting the team, you know, in terms of his understanding of the scheme. Again, Stephen Holder is with us here from ESPN.com. I've got one more on the Taylor front. And, Stephen, I'll preface this by saying this is not necessarily the reason I'm asking the question, um, but I did have a listener reach out and be like, Kevin, this is very conspiracy theory, prefaced by that, but like I'm scrolling through the Colts' Instagram, and I'm noticing that more Colts players like the non-Jonathan Taylor pictures than the Jonathan Taylor picture uh, of, of him being announced that that's he's jur- back on Wednesday. That's journalism right there, uh-huh. Stephen. Yeah, that is certainly journalism 101 in the year 2023. But the question, I think, off of that is, how do you think the locker room views this Taylor situation? It's probably not a universal opinion um, I'm sure right. the running backs feel differently they're like hell yeah man you know carry our positions flag here but uh, how do you think the locker room feels about how this has been handled by Taylor and the Colts you know for a second there I started <laughs> to think I was on the midday show which uh, which I have no problem with yeah, but, I know. Uh, <laughs> Jake's Jake's rubbing off on me sorry <laughs> all good I it is a good question and and I don't think there's a universal answer I think you're right about that but uh Look, you know, football players like routine. They they don't like distractions, disruptions, et cetera. However, I, I can tell you that Jonathan Taylor is a very popular figure in that locker room, as you obviously know, Kevin. Sure. I mean, he, sure. he's very well liked. He he works hard. I mean, despite what whatever uh, impact this current situation may have had on his reputation and, and how he's viewed, and that's for the individual to to decide. Uh, everything we've known about Jonathan Taylor up to this point is that this guy is a guy who leaves everything on the line. Uh, he he practices 
every day. You know, he's a guy who he obviously physically has been very, very tough, hasn't missed games in the past. So I, I think that has more than anything shaped this team's and his teammates' opinions of him. That's who, that's who Taylor has been. And t- players also understand the economics of football. Everybody in that locker room wants to make more money. Now, they haven't conducted themselves in the same way, and they haven't handled that in the uh, approached that in the same fashion, certainly. But, but on, on a basic level, everybody, that sort of resonates with every player particularly a guy who has had the contributions of Jonathan Taylor. So, I, you know, I, I, don't, I think there may be mixed opinions to some degree, but I don't think there's going to be anything but uh, welcoming, welcoming Jonathan Taylor with open arms because he had some, some sort of investment in the bank before this, you know, with that team and, and is very well liked and respected for very good reason. You had um... – Moving on from from Taylor, I thought you had an interesting NBA comp that you were kind of comparing Anthony Richardson to mm-hmm. yesterday that you mentioned on on Twitter. I was hoping you could expand on that and maybe touch on your uh, text conversation that you had with uh, Chris Ballard after the game. Yeah, so I mean, this really was born of a. I guess I was kind of maybe I was trolling. Okay, I admit <laughs> I was trolling. Uh, there was a there was a tweet that someone put out. Uh, alleging that you know Anthony Richardson had quietly been the worst quarterback in the NFL based on a couple of metrics. Uh, one is uh, the analytics metric CPOE, and I think the other one was uh, I don't I don't recall. I think it was eh, it was an efficiency marker. I can't remember. The point is, it first of all that was not an accurate reading of the chart. That's the first thing. Second of all, <laughs> it I think it speaks to to some degree the reality of Anthony Richardson, which is this. He is, he's not a perfect player. And in many ways, you look at a guy like C.J. Stroud, and he is the, he is the sort of prototype quarterback that we think about. And I don't mean he's the best quarterback. I'm just saying he's more conventional, right? He stands in the pocket. He makes accurate throws. And, and a coach, any coach can work with that, right? I think that is how we, we have customarily viewed football in that position. With Richardson, it's very different. I mean, he is – how do you measure Richardson through the conventional metrics when he is not a conventional quarterback? That is what I see. And, and so I think we have to take that into account. And if you watch him, this is very obvious. Uh, there are times when Anthony Richardson hurts the Colts on a play-to-play basis. Uh, he makes a bad decision. He makes an errant throw and you're banging your head against the wall. And then he does what he did in the second half on Sunday, and I don't care what level of football you're talking about. We've all seen that guy put a team on his back and say, we're not going to lose today. Now, they did, but but he did everything in his power to prevent that. Now, the, the NBA reference came in where I said, I see him as kind of a, I don't want to say a volume shooter, but, but, but that's probably the most recognizable uh, way to, to tackle this. An NBA shooter, a perimeter guy who, uh, not a shooter, but a, an offensive player who, who attacks and maybe doesn't shoot a high percentage, but you just know this is a guy who can create his own shot, right? It, every team needs that guy because if you're, if you're relying on the system all the time and, and the pick and roll to get an open shot or, or just running your system depending on open shots, well, 
if a creative defensive approach comes in, now your system is is going sideways and it's not getting you those open shots. So what you what you have to do in that situation is you got to get a guy who can say, "Give me the ball, get out of the way, I'm going to create a shot." And that's Anthony Richardson. And I don't know how you measure that guy analytically. It might not work out and it might not make sense, but you just know that he can make a play. So anyway, that's the that was kind of a that's a long answer, but that I hope makes sense. The the last thing you asked me about was Chris Ballard and I did have a quick conversation with him on Monday. I approached him about something else I was trying to clarify, and and he immediately he answered my question, but he immediately turned his attention to Anthony Richardson, and he just said, you know, I'm usually really pissed off after losses, and we all know from sitting in the press box with him at, at road games that that is absolutely true. He is absolutely inconsolable and is just has no control of his emotions okay i saw him in the bathroom when they were down 23 <laughs> nothing on sunday and he looked like he wanted to absolutely murder me uh, which i mean right. maybe we may have wanted normally, to but yeah well he may actually want to kill you <laughs> sure but that's sure the story yeah so, but anyhow <laughs> so he said you know this one is different because this guy it's just he's just different and even in a loss you see what the future could hold and he's got to put it all together, and that may never happen, for all we know. But but everything tells me that Anthony Richardson will put it together, and I and I think the reason for that is I think just from game to game, quarter to quarter, you see progress. I see a guy who grows and doesn't make the same mistake twice. So everything is positive. I'm I'm telling you, I said it yesterday uh, with with the midday show. I'll say it again here. I have sensed more optimism in that building. About a sing- I've never sensed more optimism about a single player in that building not named Andrew Luck. That's it, period. I mean, he has given them more optimism than anybody since Andrew Luck. Stephen Holder, ESPN.com with us following the Colts. Okay, I'm looking at your tweets, and I, and I did see these. The one that you mentioned, completion percentage above expected, which is CPOE, and the other is EPA per play. That's yeah, the, okay. <laughs> Those are the two. Whatever those mean, uh, that was the tweet. No, no, that, let me be clear. Let me be clear. Like, those things matter. Sure. They do matter. And, and, and they oftentimes can tell you a story, but they do not tell the full story, right? especially about a guy like this. Total agreement. There's no doubt about that. I'm going to throw a bunch at you here. Um, uh, your thoughts, uh, you know, getting down 23 nothing, the valiant comeback, but you did get 20, down 23 nothing after such a week of praise after the Baltimore game. So a winnable game and a close loss on Sunday. And then in come the Tennessee Titans. And then to throw just all this at you, Stephen, uh, the injuries are piling up for the Colts. There has to be some worry there. So looking back, looking forward – and then the injuries, what do you make of all of that? Well, look, the, the first thing, I'll take the injuries first. I mean, you know, my favorite thing to do is to say I told you so, and <laughs> I'm going to say it now. <laughs> look, this team did not have a lot of depth. We said that all summer, and their their depth is going to be tested now. And, and I, I tell you what, I mean, there's reason for concern. Uh, there was always reason for concern, but now it's real. So we'll see. I think that they have, particularly at cornerback, we knew they didn't have a lot of depth there. We knew they had just an unbelievable amount of youth there. And so here we are now, you know, with Dallas uh, Dallas Flowers 
out for the season, that's a, that's a big injury. I mm-hmm. mean, I know nationally people will look at that injury and kind of scoff like, never heard of that guy. And I get that, and that's probably true for most. But for their situation, look, everything is relative. And for their situation, he mattered a lot. And yeah. Short-term and, and long-term. Good snaps. Yeah, absolutely, and giving them some good snaps. In fact, so so that's a that's a big one. I, I think the all, the other thing I can say is, I mean, look at the loss of DeForest Buckner on Sunday and the impact that that had. Now, any team that loses a player of that caliber is going to suffer, but I don't think they did a good job compensating for him, and they may have to look at how they handle that from a lineup perspective uh, going forward. So, look, I, I think here they come against. You know, the Titans, a team, another team that is that is flawed, not a perfect team. Uh, we'll we'll see how they compete, but I, I think that's really the bottom line. They've they've got to compete, and 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 the, the, what we saw with the Colts getting down twenty three nothing, I think that's just a reality of who they are. They're they're not a they're not a perfect team. They're a flawed team. They have weaknesses that we that we know of and and that are that are obvious. So again. Uh, I think we knew this. We knew this mm-hmm. going in. And we should not get ahead of ourselves because of that win at Baltimore or the, the way they dominated in Houston. I think the Colts are very much a week-to-week team and, and not a team that's going to be favored in, in tons of games, but, but a team that can win any game. Steven, last one for me, and appreciate your time here on this Wednesday morning. Um, I do want to get in a Shaquille Leonard question, if I could. Four games into the season, he's played about 200 snaps. We, again, have seen the playing time dwindle a little bit. I know Gus Bradley mentioned yesterday some of that had to do with specific kind of personnel groupings with the Rams. I would say my concern with Leonard through four games is in those 200 snaps, Steven, I can maybe remember one play he's made, like one play that stood out. And, and, you know, it'd be one thing if I saw like two to three flashes a game or every other game, and then it's just like, okay, if he just knocks off the other rest, you know that high-level playmaking is in there. I think of a tackle for loss against Jacksonville, and that's really it. Um, How would you observe what you've seen from Leonard here through the first four games? I have the same takeaway. It's very jarring. Uh, to see Shaq Leonard out there on the field and and not see those game-changing plays because he has done it even under the most challenging circumstances. And I, I, I think specifically of 2021 when – I believe that's right, yeah, 2021 when he was hurt then and, and he, was, he was definitely not running at full speed. You could tell that his, his gait was impacted by the ankle even two years ago. And <laughs> he made just – one game-changing play after another that year. I mean, I thought from a from a turnover perspective, he has never had a better season than 2021. So that was – so to now see what we're seeing now, it is kind of – it's certainly unusual, and I, I think concerning is maybe fair just because it's not, it's not typical for him. Now, I, I mentioned this on the show yesterday. I, I think it's worth mentioning again. I don't know all the particulars of this because – I am not a defensive coordinator. I just know that that his role in in Gus Bradley's defense is definitely modified from that of of Matt Eberflus's system. Now, I don't know if that is a primary reason for him not making the game changing plays. I, I do know that it, it does kind of tee up the middle linebacker to make a lot of a lot of plays, and, and I think we're seeing that or have seen from Zaire Franklin. So so that may be in play here too. But at the same time, at the end of the day, there is 
there, there, there's a presence that Shaq Leonard has always had, and and I think we're all waiting to see him show that presence again. The, the last thing I would say is that he has historically uh, been able to freelance a little bit, in particularly in the Matt Eberflus system. I I don't know whether he has the same freedom in this system, so I'm just throwing out potential factors, right? I mean, it's too early for us to really zero in on any of this, but these are all variables that, that could be involved here. But ultimately, uh, he's, he, you know, I, I think he's he's got to be able to physically be the player he was to then tap into the instincts that God gave him, and that's why I think his challenge is right now. Again, a walkthrough today coming up for the Colts. We'll await anything more on the Jonathan Taylor front. First official practice sounds like will be Thursday, and I'm not, I guess, I'm not holding my breath at Taylor. Do you think Taylor talks this week, Stephen? No idea. I uh, <laughs> have not gotten a, a definitive answer on that, and yeah. I believe me, I did ask. <laughs> yeah, I can, uh, I can imagine. All right, Stephen, thank you for the time. Appreciate it, Stephen. All right, guys. That's Stephen Holder right there again. Um, certainly a lot of intrigue inside of Colts headquarters on the Anthony Richardson front, particularly what he showed there late in the game on Sunday. We'll talk some Pacers coming up with Dustin DePirac in their first training camp practice yesterday. I had um, listener Luke reach out to me and said, in a way, is there not enough shooting in the starting lineup? I thought that was kind of an interesting take. We've talked so much about defense all of a sudden, if your best shooter's your point guard, does that hinder anything for the Pacers? Be a question to throw to Dustin here coming up in a few. Uh, Andy, let's lead off the morning checkdown with the big Indiana-Kentucky news from yesterday. The morning checkdown. Omaha! 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 On 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Yeah, KB, you're right. The big news, Indiana and Kentucky finally, after, what, 15 years, a bunch of crying from Calipari, and then, you know, whatever happened in the RG, <laughs> the RG Miller tenure, they are now playing Indiana and Kentucky December 20th, 2025 in Rupp Arena, then December 27th in 2026. That will be at Lucas Oil. Back to Rupp Arena in 2027, and then Assembly Hall in 2028. I'm sure we'll talk about it later parts of the 9 o'clock hour, but if you want to hear uh, our conversation on that, Check out the podcast. We open the show with that at 7 o'clock today. But those two teams playing four times upcoming beginning in 25. All right, Major League Baseball playoffs from yesterday. You had a couple of road teams get a win. One would be the Diamondbacks. They win at the Brewers, so a chance to move on today. The other road team would be the Rangers. Boy, that was ugly from the Rays. Tons of airs. Uh, Jerry Montgomery, really good for the Rangers. Low attendance. On the mound. Did yes. you see that? A- attend- was it 19,000? Yeah, yeah. It was 19,000, and it was like noticeably empty, but everyone's like, ah, this is what baseball gets for these early 3 o'clock games. Number one, they always fill stadiums. Other people do. It's Tampa. We understand that. Number two, I mean, everyone in Tampa, I mean, 3 o'clock, that's prime time. That's dinner time. Oh, yeah. You know? I mean, they got to be in bed by 7.30. Yeah. I mean, Pina three- when you yeah, sit down at your yeah, seat. 3 o'clock's a perfect time for Tampa well, Bay. That's... They couldn't make that game early enough. It looked like the Rays were taking a nap. <laughs> And their fielding efforts yesterday. It was because it was prime dinner time. That that's why the Maybe, game is low attended. That could be it. Yeah. I got to get my table a Cracker Barrel. I can't be bothered <laughs> by this baseball game. Uh, so right now you have these teams trying to clinch today. Again, these are just best of three series. The Twins ended that long 18 game playoff losing streak yesterday. They beat the Blue Jays, so they're up 1-0. Again, the Rangers over the Rays, and then in the NL you had Arizona over Milwaukee and Philadelphia over Miami. So those four teams that all won yesterday. They have the chance to clinch today. I think there's college football tonight. 
Are you? Ga- are we already there uh, at the ga- Mac? Ga- is it Mac? Gambling degenerates. We have New Mexico State. We have New Mexico State, Florida International, and Middle Tennessee and Jacksonville State. Little Conference USA tonight. Little Conference USA doubleheader. If you want to get on the sports gambling apps, unbelievable. How about that? that is unbelievable. Thursday night football this week. Mark, you surprised that your Bears are only a five point underdog? The point. The, it's dropped a little bit. I think it was six and a half. So some money's coming on Chicago right now. Wow. Is that uh, out of your pocket? No, not for me. Did no. you move the line? No, no. I, I don't know what to expect anymore. So might be might be Matt Eberflus's last stand. I think you. Do, I think you do know what to expect. A loss, right? Yeah, like, that's what I'm bracing like for. In it. a loss, in a funny way. Gosh, can you see the mini bye week fire? Is that where you were going there with mm-hmm. Eberflus? I like that. That is, that is some rumblings. I, uh, I like those. I like those rumblings. That bye week. Oh yeah. Other week five items of note. Great game in London coming up Sunday morning. That would be Buffalo and Jacksonville. Certainly a lot of eyes. Again, Jacksonville with back-to-back London games. And then they return home to face the Colts. So, in a way, I think that's... I know the Colts didn't take advantage of it with the Rams. I would think that would be decent news for the Colts after two weeks in London for the Jags. And we probably... I don't think it's even probably. We get one of our games of the year, right? Sunday night football. Cowboys and 49ers. Huge one. I cannot wait. I love the 49ers in that game. Although that crowd, that's the crowd. The crowd that you're going to see the most potential fights on uh, the next day on Monday. You know, you has got to scan the internet to see who got in a good fight. Yeah. Uh, Usually involves the Raiders. Ca- Cowboys Niners. That's the one for me. That mm-hmm. It's a leader in the clubhouse. Section 622. You're damn right. Yeah. Maybe a little Raven Steelers is pretty good. Those two are probably the best ones. Did you see the Raven Steelers mention it'll be the 34th meeting between John Harbaugh and Mike Tomlin, and that is the second most games ever between two head coaches. Really? You've got to go back to, and this shows you how impressive that is. It is sh- like in 2023, can you believe that those two have lasted in their respective stops yeah, that long? Tomlin's getting some heat finally. Right, but yeah. still. But, I mean, but no, but you're it, spot on. You're I mean, spot on. 34 games, that's what, over 17 seasons. Uh, you have to go back to George Hallis versus Curly Lambeau. Of course. To find a head coaching duo that have faced each other more than Mike Tomlin and John Harbaugh. And, of course, the Colts, they've got the Titans coming up Sunday at 1 o'clock. Mark Dykton, the play-by-play voice for Sunday. Come on now. Spiro Dita. Spiro, baby! Yes. It was only a matter Let's of time go. before he popped his head in the Spiro and Archuleta there coming you up go. Sunday. Last I saw, Colts' slight favorite in this one. Uh, let's see here. Colts are favored by no. It's even right now. Even? Yeah, it's even. Maybe I just yesterday out it was this app and I'm favored by one. one. Yeah, it could be. I'm looking at ESPN. I don't know what they what they feed if it's DraftKings or FanDuel or what they do. So yeah, again, this is like the third week in a row. If you like the Colts, whether it's one, one and a half, even, go out there and bet them. You can make some money, or the other way if you like the Tennessee Titans. I think Jim Irsay hates the Titans more than just about any other team present day, based off okay. what they've done is to his country franchise. Music? I no. I, Certainly, he needs to be you know very mindful of the type of audience there in Nashville if he want to take the wants to take the Ursay collection down there. But that's stuff we can get into a little bit tomorrow and the rest of the week with the Colts and Titans meeting on Sunday. But on the other side, we'll talk Pacers. Dustin Pirak joins us next. I was listening live. That's my life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, 
jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Man, JMV saying it's time to do the must-win in week five. That's what I'm talking about. Yes. I'm pretty sure a yes. few years ago he had a must-win for the season opener. <laughs> I love it. That's the NFL. You get 16, now 17 of them. Uh, fantastic stuff. Yeah, you'll get JMV. You'll get more of that coming up at 3 o'clock today. Query and company at noon. We got you covered. All the Colts stuff leading up to uh, week five. Colts and Titans, all that coverage beginning Sunday at 9 a.m. Should mention as well, uh, we'll talk to Dustin DePierre here in just a second. Pacers, Grizzlies, that first preseason game Sunday at 7.30. Well, let's head on back to the Payless Liquors hotline. Dustin DePirac joins us following the Pacers for the star. Dustin, uh, it's been quite the journey, my man. Uh, it's good to talk to you. Finally, both of us in Indianapolis. How are you and a good morning? Doing well. Good morning to you also. Again, welcome to welcome to Indy, Andy. Happy to have you up here. Yeah, well, thank, well, thank you so much. Uh, let's start here. I, I love this Pacers season because, to me, uh, it's very black black or white, right? Uh, it's go make the playoffs. It's it, you know, it's a clear line. To me, there's not any give uh, from what they have. The expectations are to go make the playoffs, and we can argue whether that's in the play-in or top six or whatever it may be. Do you feel that way following? this team that it's clear the mission is clear you need to be in the postseason here in a few months yeah and, and obviously that's kind of a reasonable expectation you're just talking about making the top 10 in the east i mean i don't think it's a disappointment if they're in the play-in round as opposed to getting uh, you know a top six seed obviously i think top six would be a, a little bit above um you know that that would be i guess a surprise uh, or, or a, at least a little bit above expectations but i, I think that's the only stuff they need to make i mean they were 11th last year they missed out by about six games you've got a couple teams in there um that uh weakened their rosters uh you know since then you know the team that was with them washington went to full rebuild mode you know obviously brooklyn moved durant and irving by the end of the year uh you know toronto moved some guys uh it, it it's it makes sense for them uh, to make a leap, uh, basically, and and there's room for them to move up there. But I, I, they've been, you know, reasonably clear about that. The pay, the players, at least, have been very clear that that is their goal. That they intend to be a playoff team. Uh, management is a little bit less on that. Rick Carlisle is not really going either way. Um, Chad Buchanan has just basically just said, you know, we're, we're trying to get better, uh, basically, so that they're not trying to put themselves in that position where if you, you know, don't make the playoffs, somebody gets fired. Um, but I think that they look at this as this is their next step and it, that, that they've, you know, they, they had last year where they had a, a dramatic improvement from, um, you know, sort of year one under Carlisle to year two, you know, with, with Halliburton out of the mix and whatnot. And I think they feel like with the pieces they got that it's, it's reasonable for them to move up in that, at least in the 40 win range maybe up to 45 and, and be a team that uh, you know at, at least gets in the player, playing around and maybe actually gets into the playoffs. And he's Dustin DePierre covering the Pacers for the Indianapolis Star and he's with us here on the Payless Slickers Hotline. Dustin, as always, thank you for the time. Um, you know, I, I feel like in football it's a little bit easier to kind of see an obvious defensive change. Oh, you know, that guy was the 3-4 defensive coordinator. Now they're bringing in the 4-3 defensive coordinator. Uh, in mm. basketball, I don't know, maybe it's a little bit harder. At least maybe we just don't pay attention to that. It's not like every assistant staff has coordinator labels. But it does seem like the Pacers have made a change defensively. Ronald Norad now in Atlanta. Jim Boylan, former NBA head coach, is now on the bench for the Pacers. Um, is that where you point to, like, the obvious defensive Defensive changes because personnel wise, sure, Bruce Brown is here, but it's not like they made wholesale changes personnel wise. 
No, I mean, they had a couple. Obviously, they addressed it in the draft, too, by, by going out and getting Jairus Walker. Um, so, you know, a few things here. Uh, obviously, as you mentioned, you know, Jim Boylan is in, Ronald, Ronald Norwood is out. Uh, Rick Hyle made a point of saying that there will not be coordinators per se, that it will be kind of a more collective uh, way of addressing it. But obviously, Boylan is the defensive guy. He's had defensive coordinator jobs in the past. I think he was, uh, you know, the guy in San Antonio when they won in 2014. I know he won a, a title as an assistant with the Rockets in 95. Um, so he's going to have a lot of a lot of say to do with it. You know, there are going to be schematic changes. Basically, the uh, you know the guys were all saying yesterday after day one of practice, they can see a difference. Uh, you know, it, it's I mean it's not going to be something dramatic. Obviously, there's still going to be a man team, uh, but they're going to uh, basically there's. The, the, the way that they help is going to be a little bit different. They're going to put uh, more emphasis on one-on-one defense. You know, they basically Aaron, Aaron Neesmith said that basically there, there's going to be a difference in sort of the shots they're willing to give up, the the, the places on the floor that they're trying to push guys, basically the, the shots that they want taken and they don't want taken. Um, so that there's going to be something, if, you, if you're going to watch it very, very closely, you're going to, you're going to notice um, – I'm sure Kaylin Cooper is going to be able to break it down in ways much better than I will sometime during the season. She'll be able to really show that from an X's and, X's and O's perspective. Um, but there, there is going to be a change. But I think they're asking everybody to get a little bit better. Um, they're in a position, I think, that's interesting, where, where I think they've got – you can put out a really good defensive five right now if you're them, uh, but it's not necessarily your best offensive five. Uh, so that's going to be the weird balance that they're going to have to strike. But, I mean, you can put out – if you've got a, a lineup with – you know, either Nemhard or Neesmith, or Nemhard or McConnell at the one, Brown at the two, Neesmith at the three, uh, you know, Walker maybe at the four, uh, and, you know, Turner at the five, or even Jackson at the five. You've got a really good defensive lineup, but that's not necessarily the best offensive lineup, so they got to kind of balance, you know, Halliburton, Heald, Matherin, Toppin, you know, guys that are really going to score you a bunch of points uh, in lineups with other guys that they can really trust to guard somebody. Uh, so that's going to be an interesting piece with their rotations. So they've already got a really good com- competitive camp going, um, but, you know, they're best defensive guys and their best offensive guys aren't the same, so they're going to figure out how they're going to balance that. Yeah, and I guess the kind of question that I have off of that, um, Luke, one of our listeners, was DMing me last night, Dustin, and said, you know, in, in a way, do you feel like they're shooting troubles in the starting lineup potentially? I mean, Halliburton obviously is a great, great shooter, but, you know, ideally you wouldn't have your best shooter be your point guard. And if you look at the other mm. four, Bruce Brown, Benedict Matherin, Obi Top, and Miles Turner, I mean, they all are, I think, decent shooters, but they're all 35% yeah. or lower in their career. So it's not like Buddy Heald, and, and granted, Buddy's one of the best NBA shooters of all time, but it's not like you really have a, a whole lot of consistent shooting, at least as of yet. Um, do you think that is a concern at all, or is the defense just such an issue over the past few years that needs to be the first focus? I mean, the defense is the bigger issue. It, it could put you in a concern as far as shooting is, is concerned. But, I mean, in both cases, um, w- one of the ways to get a lot better is for Benedict Matherin to get a lot better in both of those areas. Obviously, he showed uh, how good he is at getting to the rim and finishing through contact, how just, just tough of a competitor he is, how good of a scorer he can be. Uh, but you need, you need him to make some outside shots and you need him to send people, and they absolutely believe that he can do both things. Uh, it is something that those are two areas of his game that he's been working on for a long time. Um, you know, going back to his days in you know the uh, Latin, NBA Latin American Academy. Uh, you know, they've been working on his shot and, and working on him playing defense and getting him to be better at both. Um, and they can really use that. That's another a, a, a key piece, obviously, for the franchise in the long term. Is they really need Matherin to develop into that second All Star caliber player. I mean, if this is going to be you know in, in the distance, uh, a team that can fight for the Eastern you know Eastern Conference title and get back in the finals uh, for 
the first time in 20 something years they they really need Matham to be that guy uh you know it was the first you know top nine pick uh in you know what 22 years or 23 years i think since since 89 um so you know that's the guy they expect they, they've invested in hope he develops into that but he, he can probably do both of those things i mean he is a he's got a good looking shot you know he can make outside shots and i mean bruce brown was just saying uh you know really the past two days he's, he looks at math and he sees a guy who can be a really good defender and he was not a really good defender last year but he's got the body he's got the quickness he's got you know the the size the strength uh you know sort of everything you need i mean like he he talks about being uh, a Kobe Jordan type of two-way player and you look at him and he's got that body um, but you know there's also making that actually happen and, be, and becoming something anywhere near that uh, requires him to be a lot better than he was to understand defense a lot better to be honed in on defense a lot more uh, if he becomes that guy who can make a lot of shots from outside and can defend you know th- then you've really re- you know raised your level and you've also ch- kind of changed your trajectory as a franchise as to how quick you're going to be uh, moving up as a winner but I mean I think that's something they really need obviously if they're not getting it you know they might have to move Buddy back in the starting lineup uh, you know it's altogether possible if, if that's if, if it's it's not coming from there um, you know they might have to make that change but they will all of those guys can shoot um, so there's going to be at least some gravity there nobody nobody on that starting five is a bad shooter but yes you want there to be gravity created uh, by guys in the two three and four spots so you're opening up the middle of the floor uh, you know for that pick and roll basically to work better with Halliburton and Turner. Dustin DePirac joins us here uh, hanging out with you on the fan on this Wednesday he's on the pay less liquors hotline and follows the Pacers for the Indianapolis star uh, you mentioned Buddy Heald there what is your read on the situation with him starting coming off the bench and obviously the potential of a trade and or contract extension and then uh, I don't know with Brown Matherin OB Toppin does it feel like I guess what percentage do you feel like you know what the starting lineup will be that first game against Washington I mean I don't I, I, I'll start with the starting lineup question I mean I don't fully know but I mean if, if I had to put money on it right now uh, and I don't and won't um, you would think Halliburton Brown Matherin Top and Turner, um, you know that that seems to sort of make sense on a bunch of levels. Obviously, you know Halliburton and Turner are short things. Uh, they went out and paid Bruce Brown uh, a lot of money to come in and play defense. So I would think for that reason he'll be in the starting five. Um, and, and you, you got to have somebody on, on there that you really trust to guard somebody. Um, uh, you know I think they're they're really ready to put Math push Mather into that role. Mather has to earn it. Um, you know, but I think you know basically they, they view him as a really key piece of the future of the franchise. They believe that he has to make that step uh, to take on starters' responsibilities um, just because I think they view as good as he was last year as a six-man. Um, there's some things you don't have to do when you're, you're you know, playing most of your minutes in the second unit. You don't necessarily have to defend a star player. You're not being defended uh, by a star player. You know, no one's keying on you in the same way. Um, you know, they're, they're using maybe your best second unit defender but not your best first unit defender. So I mean, he's going to have to deal with guys who can really get up there and uh, even guard him. Um, so I think they want to push him at that role, um, so I, I I think you know, and, and I do think they want to find out what Obi Toppin's got, and I think they're. Um, you know, Jarris Walker is obviously a rookie, so they're not going to push him to be the power forward. Jordan Orr, I think, is still part of that uh, mix as well. Um, so I'm going to be very interested to see what they do with him, um, because they really liked what they got out of him in the last 25 games last season. So I think you know he's still I think an X factor in this uh, discussion that we're not necessarily talking a lot about right now. Um, but I think with Buddy, uh, he's an interesting place. I mean, I, it sounds like basically from the reporting uh, from Shams that he wasn't 
displeased with the offer, um, you know, that, that he got from the Pacers. We're not sure about what that is yet, but I would be, I would have expected them to offer them him about the same as what he was getting. I imagine he wanted to raise after having a really, really good shooting season. Um, I think though that he's going to be locked in enough. It's going to be different if he is coming off the bench, and that's fewer minutes with Tyrese Halliburton, who I think made helped make him a lot better last year. Um, so I don't know if he's going to, you know, maintain the same type of spirits he's got right now. I, I don't expect him to have the same kind of situation he had in Sacramento. I think those that things have gotten really nasty there. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he's got a lot of respect for Tyrese Halliburton. They're, they're very close friends, so I think even coming off the bench, uh, he's not going to ruin you know Ty's franchise. Um, and I think he's got a lot of respect for Rick Carlisle too. Uh, I was sort of reminded, obviously, Rick, uh, both of them spend their off seasons in Dallas. That's where Buddy's house is. That's where Rick lives in the off season. Uh, so they spend a lot of time together this off season. They've had a lot of discussions about his situation. I, I, I don't think he's going to sabotage Rick Carlisle's team either. Um, so I think that he's going to be uh, in a better place. I mean, they've, they've loved him as a clubhouse guy. Again, Tyrese, he and Tyrese are really close. Everyone else just really gets a kick out of him. He's just an entertaining guy to be around uh, just with, with his whole you know, you, you kind of have to know him. His whole personality is kind of like goofy a little bit out there, but he he fits with this group. Um, so I think he's still going to be a productive guy, have a productive season. I think he's, I'm sure he's going to try to go out in his walk year and uh, make a bunch of money someplace. Um, so whenever he is on the floor, he's going to keep trying to prove that he can be a really good shooter. That he's really well conditioned. Uh, you know, he's got to be get a little bit better on defense. So I think you're going to see some improvement there. Obviously, there's only so much of a ceiling. He's not going to come out down and be you know Drew Holiday or anything like that. But I mean, I think he can he can give them a little bit more on the defensive end, um, and ultimately look at the season as a way to go get himself paid. Uh, you know, in the off season, uh, basically, you know, whether he gets traded or not at the deadline, uh, I'm sure he's going to want to uh, you know put some numbers up. I, I don't think they'll move him before the deadline at this point. Um, it, you know, or, or you know, in the in the near future, unless something comes up. I mean, I think I'm sure that, you know that they had to explore the opportunity of getting Holiday when he was on the market, and I would I'm sure Hutt Heald would have been a part of that discussion. Um, but I think at this point, I don't think there's anything necessarily on the table that it makes sense for them to go try and get uh, that would be worth parting with a piece like Heal for. So I think you're more likely waiting to see what uh, what kicks up around the deadline. Who's you know sort right. of who's good and who's point. bad. Yeah, who's yeah, who's exactly. who's going forward and who's not. Exactly. Exactly. So I think that's that's the point where I think you'll see uh, Buddy's name get raised again. It, 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 when someone's established where they are, what teams are out of it and trying to blow it up, what teams need a shooter and are willing to part with you know, really important assets for that, uh, you know, that's when I think they'll get back in the market for moving Buddy. Dustin, we'll end with this. And again, Dustin DePirac from the Indianapolis Star covers the Pacers. I don't know if you had PTSD yesterday when you <laughs> saw the news uh, come out, but this goes back to you know one of your older beats and certainly a story that mm-hmm. I, I have a feeling you were chasing a little bit. You also saw many of these games uh, when you were covering the Indiana Hoosiers. It's IU and Kentucky back on the schedule. We've got to wait till December 2025, but the four-year series will be Rupp Arena in 2025, then Lucas Oil just after Christmas in 2026, Rupp again in 27, and Assembly Hall in 2028. Your thoughts on that announcement? Yeah, I, mean, I would say just kind of good for Mike Woodson um, you know I think he, he that was a big piece of sort of what um, I guess kind of promises I guess that he made uh, to IU promise maybe is a little bit strong but he was clear that he wanted it back um, you know it was it was a big deal to him to get that game um, and it seemed like he you know I've 
the last um, Huber Farms winery thing I covered. Obviously, they got that question every single year. Um, you know, I you know coaches who whether it was you know going back to Tom Crean or whatnot, and that was such a big discussion point. I think uh, you know uh, that was really a place where like Crean really skewered John Calipari over it. Going back to that, and, and Woodson came out and said, you know, I I, I want to get it done. You know, he said that, that John didn't want to play it in Assembly Hall and was was clear about that, but that Woodson really wanted to make it happen either way. That he was willing to go play uh, a game, a, a neutral site game in Indiana, if it meant getting that series back on. And, and it was, it, it just seemed like it was something he really wanted to accomplish as an alum, as somebody who, who felt like that series really mattered. Um, so it's, it's a significant feather in his, his cap. And I think you add that to you know him getting Kansas on the schedule. But he, I think he was just trying to. Uh, you know, make it a, a point to to say that IU should be getting these games, that they should be going out and, and scheduling blue blood opponents, um, and you know the kind of type of teams that everybody knows. And and he was willing to make concessions uh, to make it happen. Obviously, it it says. Um, you know, it, it plays everything on Calipari's terms as much as you possibly can. You know, you get you get it at Rupp twice, only Assembly Hall once, and you play at Lucas Oil, which is a place he's wanted to play. Um, you know, for recruiting reasons, obviously, I have no idea how long Calipari's going to be there. I mean, it's you know, I, I think a lot of people <laughs> out there saying, well, that means he like he he intends to be out by twenty twenty eight. It's exactly what it means, Dustin. That's exactly what I think. Yeah. It's exactly what I'm I think. Pres- <laughs> I'm presuming that. I'm presuming that. I mean, I think. Uh, you know, I mean, I, I uh, you know, Matt Jones, I know, tweeted this out yesterday, and I and you agree with this point. This is, this game is a lot more important um, for Indiana than it is Kentucky. It's something that, that Indiana fans care about a lot more about getting on. It, it is their most, they, it is their most hated non-conference arrival, arrival. But um, it's still cool as they play it, man. I mean, I, I think it, it you know. It, the watch out for everyone to say about about how much has been overblown in, in IU lore was probably the coolest event I've ever covered. Uh, just the organicness of that moment and, and just what it was like in that in the in the narrative of where IU was at at the time. Um, and it, it's it's a big deal. And so I, I think it's a big deal for Woods to get that get it back on. I mean, I think there's just a lot of things he's done well. I think there's other things you could critique about uh, you know the, the way he stewarded his job so far. But he, I you know I think that is a big deal. Saying you know. Indiana should be playing these type of games. Indiana should get involved in these type of series, uh, you know, and, and not doing it at neutral sites. Trying to get these games at Assembly Hall at least at some point, or at least get them in the state of Indiana, as opposed to playing all of them in neutral site tournaments. Um, you know, it, it's it's I think just it's an important thing that, that Mike Woodson can say he accomplished and, and got back to IU doing these type of games. And once you get that series started, uh, you can keep it going, especially if Calipari does leave. Um, you know, I think there's some historical backing in keeping that thing around for whoever the next coach of Kentucky might be. Okay, we had a lot of that conversation to lead off today's show. You can check that out on our podcast. Again, Dustin DePirac with us here. Payless Liquors Hotline covers the Pacers for the Indianapolis Star. Dustin, I know it's about to get pretty busy for you, so thanks for making time for us here on this Wednesday morning. Anytime, fellas. Great to talk to you both. Thanks for having me. That is Dustin Apirak right there, Payless Liquors Hotline. Coming up next, Mark Ross, former yes. NFL executive scout. How would he be handling this Jonathan Taylor situation? He actually was a finalist for the Colts general manager opening back about a decade ago, so we can bring that up with him as well. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. 
So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Well, he joins us on the other side. All right, 9 o'clock hour, hanging out with you. Wake up call KB and Andy on this Wednesday, getting you ready for the Colts and Titans. Reminder, all that pregame coverage on Sunday, beginning with JMV and company at 9 a.m. The call of the game with Maytay. He'll have you uh, there for the call of the Colts and Titans. And then Greg Rakes for all the postgame coverage uh, as we find out if the Colts above 503-2 or if they'll lose two straight. And uh, then we'll have to see what will happen uh, with everything going on there. Jonathan Taylor news, obviously we've been talking about that uh, and much more. Let's go back. Busy morning for us here, KB. Let's go back to the Payless Liquors Hotline. Uh, a guy that I love, former New York Giant. That's why Mark Ross joins us uh, with the NFL Network analyst there. Mark, good morning. How are you, sir? Outstanding. How about you guys? Man, we are fantastic. Living the life here in Indianapolis, getting ready for week five of the NFL season. I want to ask some general things, what you think of uh, the first month or so of the season, but local here, uh, obviously the news this week, Jonathan Taylor can practice. Uh, So we'll see what happens. A walkthrough today and then back at practice for the Colts tomorrow. Uh, You've been in these types of discussions, uh, kind of a battle with the player, an unhappy contract situation. What do you make of the Colts and Jonathan Taylor, that situation? What types of things do you think are happening behind the scenes? Well, you're just weighing, you know, the the good, the bad, the positives, the negatives. You really have people that are trying to keep, you know, the business sense of it, the dollars and cents together. You got some people getting emotionally involved with, well, Jonathan Taylor as a person, you know, that kind of gets involved. So all of that's going on. Your cat guy's got his opinion, your GM, your scouts, your personnel people, the owner gets involved we know there are some owners are more involved than others so mm-hmm. you know all of that comes into play when you're dealing with a, a contract like this a person like this someone with the stature of jonathan taylor and of course now with all the 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 changing of the guard with the running back contract and the running back values over the past few years you're taking that all into account you're sitting there looking at we'll say com barkley sitting there on the bench there in, in new york speaking of the giants and man let's see how they maybe follow that lead and not pay these guys so you know, it's really just you just have to dig in and look at what's best for the organization. And even you're looking at how you're playing in these first four games without Jonathan Taylor. You know, you'll, you'll talk about that. Well, okay, this is how we look. How much better will he make us? Will he make us better? So it's really just uh, you dig deep into everything and every possible situation and scenario and what's best for the organization going forward. Those are the best teams that make the decisions that are best for the organization, not an individual player or one individual opinion uh, for the organization. Mark, we saw it back uh, obviously late in training camp when Jonathan Taylor um, was seeking a trade and you know the Colts granted him that ability to try and see what was out there. What do you think a realistic trade package would be for Jonathan Taylor? I know the trade deadline is, what, I guess, a month away, a little bit less than a month away. But what, when you factor in compensation, not only financially for a new contract and draft picks, assuming that's what it would be, what do you think would be a compensation for him? Well, it's so it's so uncertain now because again because of the running back valuation nowadays. And what's realistic now for running back? Most teams now, all the other thirty one say, "Well, we'll give you a fourth or fifth or something." And of course, the Colts, even though they're saying they they highly value the guy, and then someone <laughs> gives a package like, "Well, actually, that's not good enough. Uh, we don't want them, but that's not good enough." So. You know, it's uh, it, it, all the other kind of positions at this point, you can kind of point to, okay, here's the precedent. 
This is what's next. Here's what you, it'll take. But with the running backs and the devaluation, it's just been like shocking almost that they're, they're worth nothing. So, I mean, if you're the Colts and you're looking at it, you might just say, well, let's just take anything we can get a couple, you know, a second or a third or third and fourth, just, you know, throw some incentives in there with it um, to, to make sure you get something. But those are the decisions you're making now to say, okay, how much do we actually value this guy? What do we think is going to be the end outcome of our negotiations with him? And then what do we feel comfortable going forward with to say, all right, are we better parting ways with him and getting anything, getting something, or just moving on from him and, and sticking it out? Or how surprised are you being in the NFL and following the NFL that the running back position is being valued or not being valued? And then, as it pertains to the Jonathan Taylor situation, Mark, uh, you have an agent who is very involved and is very involved on social media. How does that change things as well? <laughs> well, <laughs> you, you know, agents, they got to do their thing. They right. got to do their job, and, and you can't disparage them of that. And that's why players have agents. You sit there and yell at each other, your cat guy or GM yell at each other, okay, next day it's another business day, let's try to do business. So now with the social media age, that, that throws the whole thing in a state of flux as well and adds another layer of animosity, let's just say, but you still have to do business and, uh, you know, approach it in that sort of way that this is, these are business negotiations and it doesn't get personal. Uh, but, it, you know, as far as the, the value of running backs, you know, when I came to the league, it's you know, you built your team around running backs. Of course, quarterbacks were super important. They were right neck and neck, but almost neck and neck. And you, you could kind of see it coming because of you know, how college is played and the NFL just started slowly adopting college ways. And when I started in the first 10, 15 years, whatever, it's like, that won't work in the NFL, you know, mm-hmm. that's college stuff. And now it's, well, yeah, the colleges have taken over and what they've done, they've, they've been the innovative people where the NFL had to adapt to what they were doing. And part of that was when you used to watch colleges and spread out and throw the ball all over the place, didn't matter who your running back was. So, And you're seeing that now where the great teams, the Super Bowl teams, have proven they can win without top-tier running backs. And the highly paid running backs, the highly drafted running backs really didn't have a ton of success and got hurt a lot. So it was not surprising if you kind of looked at it in each step of the way. I didn't think it would get this this bad, but you could kind of see the devaluation kind of coming. He's Mark Ross, former NFL executive. You see him on NFL Network. He's with us here right now uh, on the Payless Liquors Hotline. Marcus, we sit here at, I guess, the first quarter of the season complete. You've got four two and two teams in the AFC South. Uh, who would you view as the favorite in this division after what you've seen through the first four weeks? Yeah, wow, it's um, it, it's it's an intriguing. They're going into like, oh, those teams, none of them are any good. Jacksonville's going to run away with it. Forget forget about Houston. You know, forget about the, you know the, the Titans. They're not good anymore. But you know, it really has become intriguing uh, at this point. And they're all different. You know, they're all completely different with how how they're built and how they're structured and what the goals were kind of coming into the season and. You know, with Indy, it was, well, we'll just learn and grow and let Anthony Richardson get better. And, well, now you're you're in every game. You're competitive, even when he didn't play. So, you know, I, I would think, you know, despite their struggles early, that Jacksonville sort of is still the favorite um, just because they've been there. They've done that. They should be taking another step. You know, they've got the veteran head, the head coach, Super Bowl pedigree. They've got Trevor, who they won the game last year. So, at this point, I would still slightly favor them. But, it's been far more intriguing and 
those teams have been far more competitive than I would have thought coming into the season. I mean, the thing about it is that you can't have all these teams 8-8 eight eight, given that we play 17 games now, Mark. Uh, I always want to say that, well, everyone's going to be 8-8, eight eight, but you can't be eight, that eight anymore. 8 one maybe. Yeah, would eight. that define the AFC South? Really Everyone won. finishes the year 8-8-1. Eight, eight, Everyone gets a tie it's at some point. Mark Ross with us here on the fan on this Wednesday. Payless Liquors Hotline. You mentioned, uh, mentioned Anthony Richardson, so you have AR and Bryce Young and C.J. Stroud, and, and, and I didn't think too much of Stroud, and he's been uh, pretty damn good in this first month. Anthony Richardson definitely showing some flashes, a little bit of an injury issue. Same with Bryce Young, the injuries. Although, I, you know, I, he looks a little bit more lost than the others, uh, but these quarterbacks are going to be all tied at the hip, taken so high. What do you make of all three of them and how they're playing? Well, it'll be fun for the league, right? I mean, their whole career, they'll be, they'll, as you said, they'll be tied to each other, they'll be compared to each other, and it'll be how they play individually and how they their teams do. So that'll be really fun to, to look at. And I've talked about different situations. That they, they're all in different situations. You know, coming into it, I thought Bryce Young was, was ready-made. Throw him in there. They got the, the excellent coaching staff. They had some some – uh, you, you know, talent around him. I thought that talent has proved to be, you know, maybe not as, as good as people thought coming in there. And he's had struggles. And it was almost as if they thought, let's just put everything on this guy and you go do it, Bryce. And they, they got to figure out, like, no, he, you can't just throw the guy just because he's the number one pick in the draft that you got to throw everything on him. You got to help him some. And, you know, I think they, they're, they should learn from that. Uh, with C.J. Stroud, I mean, he's completely blown me away. And I was I covered the Texans during training camp. And uh, it, even then, it didn't look like he would be ready-made to go, even though they said he's going to be the guy. I thought they were going to have a lot of growing pains there. But, man, D'Amico Ryan, the head coach, has really stepped in and got that team buying in. They play hard. They play fast on offense. D.J.'s been poised, hasn't turned the ball over, been really productive. So he's far and away exceeded my expectations right now. And then, with AR there, you guys see it. You see the great and you see the, the mm-hmm. not so great. Now you see why he was so polarizing coming out because you get the best of both. And the NFL and great quarterbacks is all about consistency. And do you consistently do great things well or do you consistently do mediocre things or consistently do bad things? So we'll have to see where his career, this season, each game plays out for him where where he goes with the consistency aspect because he's never been consistently doing good things or, or bad things. It's right. always been one or the other, most extremes with him, where he'll throw a ball, you're like, what in the world is going on? And then he makes a spectacular play like he does running around and throwing it. So where, where will that consistency go to with Anthony Richardson? And that'll tell the tale of his career and, and the, the Indies uh, seasons and future. Mark, we'll end with this. Um, and again, thank you for the time here. Mark Ross is with us, former NFL executive. You can see him on NFL Network. But I seem to recall back in the 2011-2012, I guess, GM cycle that you were a hot name here in Indy. Um, it was a job that eventually went to Ryan Grigson. Uh, what do you remember about that process? And, and did, did you think you had a legit shot at taking over for Bill Polian? Yeah, I did. I did. And, uh, you know, yes, I was a hot guy then. We were winning two Super Bowls there with the Giants with, uh, with our crew. And, um, yeah, I did, I did think I really had a good shot met with, with the owner there, Arce, and a couple other guys, the executives there, and gave it my all, gave it my best. And uh, I thought I presented uh, really well. But, uh, you know, obviously Ryan Grigson was a much more uh, qualified and better candidate than me. Uh, it would have been an awesome job because that's when they had the Andrew Luck draft. So, uh, but uh, yeah, that's history. It's, it's done with, moved on. 
had an excellent career and maybe one day come back there, get back there with the, in Indy. What is a Jim Irsay interview experience <laughs> like there? I'm trying uh, to we think. We talk about that on air, guys. Right, well, next time I'm there, we'll, we'll uh, I'll be there for the combine. We'll have them take me out for some beers. And we'll, there we we'll go. Give a little check. You do not have to tell us twice. I have a feeling it might need a few drinks to get through that entire. <laughs> We're going top shelf for that, not beers. We need uh, a little Louis Thirteenth or something. <laughs> I love it. We'll get the NFL Network black card on that one there. Again, Mark Ross from the NFL Network with us here. Mark, great stuff. Thanks. Thank Mark. you for the time this morning. All right. All right. Take care. That is Mark Ross. I, I seem to recall, and I could be wrong on this, Andy, so I apologize for trying to go off the top of my head here, but um, I seem to recall Grigson, Mark Ross, and boy, there was one other name, but I was actually told the night before that they eventually hired Grigson permanently. These are the three people it could be. Okay. One of these three. See, I'll Google that for you. Give me, give that. me a, yeah, I wonder who that third name was. Give me the write-up on these three. Okay. And then tomorrow, it'll be announced, you know, who exactly that person is. And it ended up being Ryan Grigson. But yeah, Mark Ross was, you know, whatever. Was he second in line at the Giants? You would probably know that answer. No, he was He was second in line. He was, he was seen as very much a rising star. He made my 20s a lot better. Uh, my 30s have not been great, but my 20s were better, and Mark Ross played a part in that. So there you go. I'll thank him after he's off the air. Thank you. I enjoyed thank the you, conversation with him. Yeah. Uh, but then, you know, if you fast forward then to the coaching cycle, you know who the runner-up to Chuck Pagano was. Oh, man. So Ryan Grigson hired. Okay. And then Chuck really came out of nowhere, because if you remember, that Baltimore team, that was the year that, uh, gosh, who was the Baltimore kicker that missed the chip shot field goal in New England to to try and send them to the Super Bowl? Wouldn't have been Justin Tucker. It would have been right before that. Uh, But it was, I mean, Chuck was not a candidate at all. Then all of a sudden, you know, they get on that run, and he's viewed as kind of the next Baltimore defensive coordinator. Uh, but the runner-up, you've got to go to Mark Dykton's Bears. Mm. Okay, well, who was it, Mark? Do you remember? I'm scared to say. <laughs> I'm Matt, also scared to is say. Matt Nagy, Mark Tressman. Oh, oh yeah, I I had a buddy on. I had a buddy who thought Tressman was going to be the loves truth. Tressman. Oh yeah, people love Tressman. That was a great hire, Mark. They yeah. love him outside for, the box. They love him for one season, and then his teams take a dump and they're terrible he's in the cfl didn't he win like the championship with like the argonauts or something like that you should do yourself a favor and like wikipedia mark trustman and just see how many teams he's been at and it is doing it right now it is wild i'm doing it okay it is okay hang on it is wild can i read these to you go ahead Uh, he's been he was with the u the Minnesota Vikings, the Bucks, the Browns, back to Minnesota, the Niners, the Lions, the Cardinals, the Raiders, back to the Dolphins, NC State. He was the OC there for a year, then back in the NFL to the Saints, and then is the Montreal Al- uh, Alouettes. He was a head coach for four years, then the Bears, then the Ravens as the OC, then the Argonauts. I was right with that one, and now he's with the Tampa Bay Vipers. He's the head coach and general manager for the Tampa Bay Vipers. Three-time Grey Cup winner, two-time CFL Coach of the Year. There you go. Chicago Bear legend. Oh, yeah. Mark (laughs) Tressman. Put him in the ring of honor if they had one. (laughs) I know you were thinking, Andy, about uh, tossing a Shaquille Leonard question Mark's way. And I asked that to Stephen Holder when we had him on earlier. And, again, through four games, I think the thing that stands out to me and maybe there's some Gus Bradley audio because I know he got that question yesterday that we can we can play. But I thought the thing that has stood out to me 
is through four games, this guy's played about 200 snaps. Yes, his snap count is dwindling, but to me what stands out to me more than his play time slowly decreasing is the fact that, Andy, I can maybe recall one play Leonard has made. And that is not Leonard. That, that That's not been his game at all. If anything, it's the opposite. He's been a guy that... You know, if you really locked in for 60 snaps, you might see like a handful or 10 or 12 that are like, oh man, it's not great. But then he also has some big time splash. He's got a huge takeaway. He's got timely turnovers, those sorts of things. And I just don't recall him even really being around the ball for those opportunities. Like, obviously, EJ Speed had a dumb penalty on Sunday, Andy. But I also feel like EJ Speed's made a half dozen plays that I remember. Zaire Franklin has made, obviously. Absolutely, Franklin, yeah. A, a ton of plays, and I guess that would be my concern. Again, Gus Bradley said yesterday, you know, we're going to, November is what we're shooting for, for Leonard to be fully back. I mean, right now, it's four games. There's 13 left on the schedule. But if you were going to say, Kevin Bowen, right now, tell me what you would do with Leonard at the end of this season, you would have to look long and hard at a full restructure of that contract or even cut him. Here's what uh, Gus Bradley grus. Here's what Gus Bradley had had to say yesterday. That very thing about getting Leonard back into shape. Here, when we sat down and looked at it, we just felt like we're gonna, you know, have a plan in mind and kind of follow that plan. There may be more, there may be less reps, but it's based on how we're gonna bring him back. And really, the ideal thing is, in my mind, is to get him back. You know, sometime November. You know, to where we really have a good feel for where he's at. Again, you, you, we're still early on this, but you can't ignore that EJ Speed is slowly increasing in playing time. You know, Gus kind of pointed to yesterday, well, that was more of a, you know, personnel grouping situation, this and that. Okay, whatever. Let's put that to the side. If we just talk about the Leonard we've seen on the field and in 200 snaps, Andy. Again, I just don't see him around the ball like his usual self and or I can't recall many plays that he's made. And if I compare him to the other linebackers, those dudes are making plays. Well, I mean, you said uh, that he would make up for stuff by having those boom plays. That is his and, game. Yeah, that's his game. And it it's, reminds me of Anthony Richardson. Like, you're going to have some incompletions. Sure. The completion percentage from the pocket may not be yeah, as he's good. He's not going to fit every yeah. run lane yeah, out there. Yeah, but you know what's great? He's going to make boom plays where it's like, damn, that guy's got it, right? And that has been on the defensive side. Uh, that had been Leonard. You know, I come at this and... I come at this from having zero emotion involved in the past with with Shaq. I mean, that's me. So I come at it from looking at what he's giving, what he could give in that contract, and there's no way they can go into 2024 with him having a cap hit of over $20 million. No, I mean, this, no, there's no, no. no way. If, if you you're going to dig this line in for Jonathan it, it, Taylor, exactly. how can you do the opposite it, it, with if, Shaquille? If, if, I mean, they're going to have other decisions. Michael Pittman, at the end of the season, they are going to be decisions on this roster, and if you are a rebuilding team – 
if you are a retooling team, whatever verbiage you want to use, having Leonard make more than $20 million is not it. We have said consistently after this season, um, they they have an out. I mean, they do. They have an out. It would be about $8 million in dead cap money. That is what you have to deal with when you give contracts that do not work out in the NFL. Uh, you have to absorb some of that 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 uh, that dead money. I mean, the game on Sunday against the Rams, I remember the TV, because Leonard was on the bench, just standing there, you know, standing, I guess not technically on the bench, that's the only time I remember him being shown on TV, yeah, was know, that play. Andy, he was announced last in defensive, whatever, player introductions. You know, it's either offense gets announced or defense gets announced, and he was announces the final guy and I'm thinking to myself if we were being honest with ourselves I could think of about a half dozen Colts on the defense if not more I mean, starting with Franklin uh, Buckner any of those should guys. be announced last quote on quote and, and you know I feel bad Leonard's been through physical football mm-hmm. hell really with you know back surgeries and nerve issues and all of that um, but you got to call it like you see it. And to me, this is the reality so far. Four games. We'll see. Gus Bradley points to November. But uh, right now, you just have not seen uh, his normal self. Uh, the Colts did make a somewhat uh, you know, interesting roster move yesterday. So Dallas Flowers is now an injured reserve. That opened up a spot on their 53-man roster. They promoted Amari Rodgers up from the practice squad. Andy Amari Rogers actually played on Sunday, a former third round pick. He has some return experience in his NFL career. So, you know, Dallas Flowers was also your kick returner. So maybe that's where he could play into it. But I do think it's worth pointing out Amari Rogers is kind of similar to Isaiah McKenzie. So I'm curious, like, at some point, does that, you know, is there is there two similar guys on the roster? Uh, Rogers did play a couple of snaps on Sunday. McKenzie there. hasn't done anything. I mean, no, he had a nice no, little juke move on Sunday, yeah. but does I mean, he have Roger, two, two or, uh, catches on the year, something yeah, like Richardson that? Richardson threw a little ball behind him on one of the first plays of the game, but yeah, he has done very little. He is your punt returner right now. Uh, the Colts did bring a cornerback back to their practice squad, Darren Hall, who has started some games in Atlanta. So if you're looking for the replacement for Dallas Flowers, again, Kenny Moore doesn't come off the field. Juju Brents mm-hmm. now falls into the category of he doesn't come off the field. That third corner who plays a lot, Right now, I think it'll either be seventh-round pick Jalen Jones uh, or Daryl Baker Jr., who we saw benched after week you, two. You want Paris Campbell back? All he the is, Giants do is they throw behind five yards behind the say, line of scrimmage. He I gets a yard and a half. Four catches for like nine yards, six yards the other <laughs> way. They use him more than they use Darren Waller, though. <laughs> you say that as like a disgruntled fantasy football. Oh, yeah, man. yeah, you're damn right. Yeah, I found the uh, list of Colts GM candidates back when Mark Ross Ooh, and Ryan Grigson. Yeah, who was the third one? Okay, so I don't know. If it was down to three. This, these are the seven that apparently Jim Mercy confirmed back in the day. Uh, Montreal Alouettes GM Jim Pop, uh, Tom Siskowski of the Dallas, Les Snead, oh, David yeah. Campbell, Mark Ross, Ryan Grigson, and Director of Player Personnel Tom Telesco. Do Tulesco. any of those ring a bell? Was it Telesco? Well, Telesco was kind of the second yeah. in charge with Poli. And what, what, what was the Campbell name? David Campbell of Atlanta. Hmm. Or I'm sorry, David Caldwell. David Caldwell. I, I, I think I, it was apologies. that. I think it was Caldwell, because Caldwell, I think, had some pulley in history. 
as well. But yeah, Grigson and Ross. I mean, obviously Grigson was the one that eventually got that gig. So you think he meant he uh, that we would go out for for a drink and we would get top I shelf? Felt like there was I, some I seriousness to it. Okay, yeah, some Pappy Van Winkle. I mean, can you something? imagine what an interview process with Jim Mercer is like? Do you have to do it on the bus, or do you go to like the boardroom, or is it in his uh, spacious office, are, or are what is desserts? it? I still can't believe the whole bus thing at training camp. I mean, think about that. You show up to training camp, park your bus 20 yards north of the end zone in some <laughs> dude's backyard to tell Jonathan Taylor we're not giving you a contract extension. Does he pay in the guy? In front of like 7,000 people. <laughs> Does he pay the guy to, to park the bus there? I, I, I wondered those things. Does those people have like horse farms yeah, know, and, you know, and cow farms and everything else out there? Here's two uh, extra tickets to the season opener. I want the cash. I don't. I don't want season. T- I don't want. want I don't want a couple tickets. <laughs> the autographed hundred, please. Colts walkthrough coming up a l- little bit later today. Again, no practice to start this week. A little bit banged up. It sounds like coming off of back-to-back overtime games. That is part of the reason why. A look ahead to Sunday with Tennessee. Uh, currently, the Colts slight favorite. Maybe mm-hmm. a pick'em game if you want to look at it from that end. Tennessee has been, to sum it up very succinctly, awful on the road. Good to great at home. They average 27 points per game at home. They average nine points per game (laughs) on the road. Andy, all six touchdowns the Titans have scored this year at home. They've had they've they've had a close win, a close loss, a blowout win, and a blowout loss. Uh, to me, this is one of those where, and I know we need to take a break. We'll get to a check down here in a second. Like Matthew Stafford, I have respect for, and Matthew Stafford, you know, won a Super Bowl, and Ryan Tannehill is washed, man. I mean, I've always been a fan I, of Mrs. Tannehill. Yes, uh huh. He was a wide receiver, right, Whoa. in college? Wide receiver at A and M. Yeah, that's what yeah. I thought. Uh-huh. I guess I need to look up uh, Mrs. Tannehill. She was featured when they uh, when he was on the Dolphins and they did hard knocks. Oh back yeah, I remember uh, that. So does that mean we might get uh, on Sunday? Oh, the mayo plop. Uh huh. Yeah. Is he even on the? Is Will Levis even around? Is he? I, I, I asked that. Is he even active on any of these? I don't know. Do we have to do coffee and mayo? Malik have, Willis. Andy need to take the dive. <laughs> Malik Willis is the backup, right? Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, he had injuries, did Levis, and then you know he also stunk it up in the preseason. If you just Google Levis, the first things that pop up: Will Levis' girlfriend, Will Levis' NFL draft, Will Levis' sister. <laughs> uh, two of those things I follow on Instagram. I'll let you guys work out which ones. Which, which one. Come on, Ryan Tannehill, dude. dude yards against the Browns. He's got two games under 200 yards. Ugh. Titans are in such an awkward stage of like, are they, you know... Are you good or are you not good? Or, or like, are you rebuilding or are you not? Like, What why, are you doing? Why do you have Henry? You know, like, shouldn't you trade <laughs> well, him? They might a, not have him much longer. Yeah, he's but, got two... And you got DeAndre Hopkins, too. So yeah, kind of and, like, weird... and their defense is kind of older. Yeah. I don't know. The, the, the Titans continue to do this every year, and then they just show up. Then they win like, the AFC South. They beat the yeah. Colts, and they win nine or ten games. That's kind of been the story with Mike Vrabel. All right, pop quiz uh, coming up in a few. Three one seven two three nine ten seven. We have some Jeff Saturday audio. I think one of the first times he's really been asked somewhat publicly about the interim gig he had last year. He was on PTI. With that Tony Kornheiser, Mike Wilbons, we'll play that uh, coming up here in a little. Uh, before all of that, let's go to a morning checkdown. Seventy-five. Years ago. The morning checkdown. Omaha, 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 Omaha. On 93.5 and 107.5, the fan.
All right, some of the big news around here. College basketball yesterday finally became official. Indiana and Kentucky renewing that series after, what was it, 15 years or so. A bunch of whining and crying between the teams. Calipari didn't want to go to Assembly Hall and everything else. I think we talked about in the 7 o'clock hour. I, I think Kentucky uh, got the best of this. Two games coming up at Rupp, one at Lucas Oil, and then the final one there at Assembly Hall. The festivities begin in 2025 uh, there in Rupp and then Lucas Oil for 26 and 27. It goes back to Rupp Arena and then 28 finally at Assembly Hall. Who knows what the hell all of us are going to be doing in 2028. Who knows what the co- who the coaches are going to be I was gonna say, for the Will, respective programs. So John Calipari would be 69 years old. Mike Woodson would be 70. Will they both be on the sideline? Well, okay, okay, so I'm going to say no. I'm going to say no. Both of them will not be uh, Woodson because of age and Calipari. I mean, so the last- Rick Pitino will be coaching Kentucky and Brad Stevens will be coaching IU oh, in those I love two that. Games. I'd love that. Don't do well. How old would Patino be? Patino's 70 right now, isn't oh, he? Patino's never dying. Well, he's a vampire. He's actually 718 years old. You had no idea. Mike Woodson will come out just so they can get him on the <laughs> microphone saying, Just kick some ass. <laughs> And then he can go back to the seats. I mean, they wanted Calipari fired, but he literally has a lifetime deal that if they got rid of him, KB, he would get all of the money. Like, they just have to give him all of the money. There's no, like, oh, buyout, it goes down in I two years. I could use one of those contracts. Well, you're damn right. John Calipari, Calipari presents University of Kentucky. That's what it'd have to say. Because <laughs> you own them. Uh, Major League Baseball. We had four games yesterday in the wild card round. I had no idea until yesterday that the Twins hadn't won a playoff game in 18 straight appearance. I guess in a way, that means they've made the playoffs decently a decent amount, they, they I should ran, say. They ran into Jimmy Cook's Yankees a lot. You know, when the Yankees were good, they yeah, made the playoffs it's and they lose. You those. can't win one I, of them. Listen, brother, I'm with you. 18 straights, ridiculous. I'm they with beat you. the Blue Jays, so that losing streak is over. It was the longest in, I think, North American professional sports, if I saw that correct. Yesterday, Rangers beat the Rays, so those are the series in the AL. The Twins and the Rangers going for the clinch today. In the NL, it was Arizona on the road. Uh, they got down 3 nothing, came back to win 6-3. They beat the Milwaukee Brewers and the Phillies over the Marlins in the nightcap. Uh, so, again, Phillies, Diamondbacks, Rangers, Twins. Those four teams in these best-of-three series, they have a chance to win those series today. The problem with the Twins is they get fat and happy being in the AL Central. So they play all these <laughs> the lowly teams, and they're like, oh, wait, we have to play real competition now that the postseason started. That's what, that's what happens there. See, I feel that way about Tampa Bay. You know, Tampa Bay's been oh. so great in the regular season. They've got to the postseason. I thought that's the why it was good. It is well. It's money it normally do, is good. M- money doesn't always mean that you're good. Orioles and Rays. I mean, who would have thought that at the beginning of the season? Yeah, absolutely crazy. All right, looking ahead to Week Five in the NFL again. Colts and Titans Sunday at one o'clock. Other games of note. You've got a great one Sunday night football. That will be the Cowboys and the 49ers. So that has been a recent playoff matchup. That's going to be, again, Sunday night football. Uh, other games of note, uh, Eagles at Rams, I think is intriguing. Ravens and Steelers. And I think the London game is, is a nice mm-hmm. one. That'll be Jacksonville and Buffalo. No on- Toy Story game for that one, I don't By know. the way, that had the largest ESPN Plus um, numbers that anything has had on ESPN Plus. I saw some game. clips from it. That was really well done. 
I mean, obviously, you're catering to kids. Yeah, yeah. I but thought like, it was pretty cool. Yeah, I thought it was pretty cool. Whatever. Yeah. They were entertained. My daughter sat through an entire football game and didn't complain once. I can't believe that. See, M- Mark Dykton is absolutely the the viewer that they're wanting to get all the information mm-hmm. from. Mm-hmm. He's the guy. By the way, the toilet bowl this week, Jets and Broncos. I love these toilet bowl games. I absolutely adore them. Broncos are one and a half point favorites. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> Russell Wilson Broncos. against that Jets defense. <laughs> we never talked about Sean Payton cutting off his uh, sweatshirt like Belichick. That didn't work, did it? <laughs> well, no, it did work. They scored like 21 unanswered and they won the game after that, I think. That's all it took. College football games of notes. We've got Notre Dame at Louisville Saturday night. Uh, you're taking Louisville, it sounds like. Oh, man. Listen, this is going to go to Friday. I I want Notre Dame to win this game so damn bad. I, I just... I just I don't know why I'm worried about it. Notre Dame's been through a couple tough weeks. I mean, they have, right? I'm not wrong with that. No, I mean, it's no, been no, no, a very busy part. Oh, they've got USC could, next week. Could Louisville just catch them in this powder keg of huge game offense? I just don't trust Plummer at all for U of L. I don't know. Last time, oh, what's your quarterback's name? Uh, Sam, Sam Hartman. Last time Hartman was there, literally played the worst half I've ever seen a quarterback play. And that again, that was with lesser talent uh, at Wake Forest, but he was bad. I, man, this is a tough game for me. I, I'm probably going to go Notre Dame, but I, if Louisville won the game, I guess I wouldn't be surprised. Uh, Purdue and Iowa, it's a 3.30 kick in Iowa's starting quarterback, Cade McNamara, sounds like done for the year. So that's a good news on the Purdue front in terms of their opposition coming up on Sunday. All right, pop quiz on, or excuse me, Saturday. A pop quiz is next. 317-239-1070. We'll do that on the, on the other side. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com. And talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. I can't remember the gentleman's name. Was it Jack yesterday who got four out of five? KB, do you remember? Sounds right, yeah. Yeah, he uh-huh. got question three wrong, but he, he he was a rock star, man. You know, and there are some baseball questions here. At least they all are in our lifetime. Yes. You know, yes, which is not usually the case. I know there are, there are I, dad's lifetimes too, which is nice. I have to go like on the Bowen family tree to like great grandpas at times to be like, well, I never met him. Wonder if he would know the answer to the 1898 Warren Spawn stepfather's niece who threw out the first pitch at, you know. Waverly Field or something whatever. Like that. Plus, you have a fifty-fifty yeah. question in here, so these are uh, yeah, these are absolutely what we're doable. Is it is doable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you'll get some of these. Reminder: Jeff Saturday sound will come up after the pop quiz. We'll do that as well. Give us a number one through eight. Uh, I'm gonna go with I'm gonna go with uh, let's go with two on this one. We always do a bigger number. Let's go with two. Don. Don. Hey. Good morning. Good morning, fellas. I've got to say, Andy. <laughs> <laughs> have we had Don on before? Oh, oh trust me, or, we have. Okay. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, yeah, but I'm wondering. Is, the radio. Okay, but I'm wondering if he's the only one that has done that with me, or, well, Matt or is there Taylor, somebody didn't Matt else? Taylor tried to do it on yeah, Friday with Matt, you? Matt Taylor, who is older than Don, actually. Yeah. Yeah. Don, how old are you? 
Uh, I'm 67. Yeah. Nice. Matt, Matt Taylor's 77, so there you go. 77, right. yeah. <laughs> Don, always enjoy hearing your right, voice. Don. Happy Wednesday to you. I'm going to throw number one at you right now, all right? All righty. Purdue heads to Iowa City to take on the Hawkeyes on Saturday. Who leads the all-time series in football? Is it the Boilers or Hawkeyes? Oh, boy. I'm going to go with the Hawkeyes. You sure? Hmm. No, Purdue. <laughs> you going, Purdue? Okay, I like it. Thank yeah. you, Don. Good job, Don. All right, question number two. Zach Wheeler threw six and two-third innings of five-hit, one-run baseball as the Phillies beat the Marlins in game one of their series last night. Wheeler has three games allowing one or fewer runs over six-plus innings in his Phillies postseason career. That's the third most in franchise history. Hall of Famer Steve Carlton is one of the Phillies with more such starts. Who is the other? Okay, Is it Roy Halladay? Kurt Schilling? Cole Hamels or Grover Cleveland Alexander? Sounds like a presidential candidate in the 1850s. What team was it again? Uh, the Phillies. So Zach Wheeler last night was fantastic. Again, six and two thirds, a five hit, uh, one run baseball. Uh, it's him. It's Steve Carlton. They've done it. Who else? Halliday, Sh- uh, Schilling, Hamels, or Alexander? Oh God. Halliday. Don, what part of town do you live on? I live at Northeast. I'm, I'm in the car right now. That's why it's bouncing around. Oh, you're good. Sounding great. Uh, number three here, Royce Lewis. That would be a Twins DH. Became just the third player in MLB history to hit home runs in his first two career postseason plate appearances when he went deep twice against the Blue Jays yesterday. The first player to do it was former twin Gary Gaetti. The second player to do it is still active. Don, is it Kyle Schwarber, Christian Yelich, Matt Olson, or Eva Longoria? Evan Longoria. Uh, Evan. Yeah, I like Eva better. Did you, oh, yeah. Are you going with Evan? <laughs> Somebody said Evan, so I'm going with it. <laughs> Smart choice. Uh, was it? It was Eva Longoria, right? Yeah. She was dating Tony, Tony Parker. Parker, right? Yeah. What's she yeah, up to Eva, these days? Eva Longoria, she could be active. Yeah, yeah she could be active, certainly. <laughs> yep. There you go. I hear you, Don. Oh, careful of the wheel right now. All right, yeah, be careful, Don. You're driving. Uh, question number four. On this day in 2001, Barry Bonds hit his 70th home run of the season, tying Mark McGuire's MLB record. Bonds would break the record the next day. Who gave up Bonds' record-breaking 70? first home run. Was it Chuck McElroy, Dennis Springer, Chanho Park, or Wilfredo Rodriguez? I I didn't know this one. I gotta be honest. And I should. Uh, Well, I'm gonna go with Park. I don't have any idea. Look at that. Don, Go with right. who you Number know. Five. Don, congrats to Aaliyah Boston. That would be the unanimous rookie of the year in the WNBA of the Indiana Fever. Name the only player in WNBA history to win rookie of the year and MVP in the same season. Married to Sheldon Williams? Am I imagining things, Scotty? I think you're right, yes. Is it A, Candace Parker, B, Tamika Catchings, C, Lisa Leslie, or D, Cynthia Cooper? They've had her doing some NCAA tournament stuff, uh, CBS, the Turner in-studio stuff as well here in recent years. Parker, Catchings, Leslie, or Cooper? Uh, Leslie. 
Although Candace Parker is smoking. Oh, well, hey, okay. Uh, do you want to change your answer to <laughs> the smoking Parker in your words or stick with Leslie? I think I got to go with Parker. Woo! <laughs> <laughs> Tell you what, here. Candace Parker no longer with Sheldon. Yeah, Williams, 2016 they split oh, up. She's married Sorry, to- <laughs> I'm not up, up to date on that. She's, she's married to Anna Petrakova. Oh, so does that mean she went other side of the plate? If she I follow that correctly, teams, I think. Okay, all uh-huh. right there. Well, congrats to Candace on that. Boy, Don went with um, <laughs> with his gut feeling some other body parts, and that led to a couple of correct answers. Honestly, when you it doesn't matter how you it, no, it doesn't matter no, how you get there. You don't need to show your no. work. Just yes. What's it look like at the end? Uh, Purdue was correct. <laughs> I could go a couple different ways. What a Candace Parker surprise! What a surprise! Uh, Evan Longoria. Yes! <laughs> was correct. Chan Ho Park, I guess yeah, that was the one where correct. he really yeah. just kind of was grasping there. The only one he missed was number two. He said Halliday, right? Yeah, it was Cole Hamels uh, was the other <clears throat> Phillies pitcher who had went at least six and two-thirds. Don, drive safe. Maybe call your doctor, too. Hands at ten and, ten and two after Ooh, that one. Man. <laughs> Impressive there from Don. We'll the, play some uh, Jeff Saturday. The, the internet people are going to be like, Andy, Sweeney, and Mark Dykton are logged in. Uh, they're Googling a lot of Candace Parker in the 9 o'clock hour. What the hell were they talking about? It's cold season, Show damn research. it. research. What do you want? Yeah. Uh, pop quiz leads you down. Crazy pass. We'll play some Jeff Saturday audio to round it out. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. All right, final segment of the show. Good pop quiz. Busy, busy show today. Appreciate Stephen Holder of ESPN following the Colts. Uh, joining us, Dustin DePirac, Indy Star with the Pacers, and Mark Ross, NFL Network, breaking down uh, some Colts, some AFC South, and much more. All of that and all of our nonsense, our thoughts on the Indiana-Kentucky basketball series back. All of that up at the Podcast Center, 1075thefan.com. Check it out, Apple Podcasts, wherever, uh, wherever you Android guys get your podcasts from i don't know i don't know who's an android guy in the office i have no idea is anyone an android guy yeah. i don't think so right jake's not todd's I, not i don't want to be in a is group Jim, text yeah, with him. is jimmy cook i don't think he is think oh one of our producers is oh is he oh, yeah, james is. i think i think yeah. james is yeah actually because i think i look down on him thinking oh really uh, the green this is not blue what are we doing here anyway uh before we get to this jeff saturday sound and we'll do it he was on pti yesterday uh, have you seen the odds for? Have you seen the odds for NFL MVP? They update every single week. Just have you have you seen this? I, Just throwing I would it out there. Assume that Tua is the heavy favorite. Uh, well, he was, but not after they got smoked. Josh Allen. Josh, not in the yeah, favorite. Josh Allen at plus three fifty to win NFL MVP, tied for second. Tua and Pat Mahomes, fourth Jalen Hurts, fifth Lamar Jackson at plus twelve hundred. Uh, Justin Herbert plus sixteen hundred, tied with Brock Purdy, and it that to me, just, just quickly ridiculous. All court, really all quarterbacks. You can't you can't throw Christian McCaffrey in there. How about Puka somewhere? Nakua? How about Puka? But you can't throw McCaffrey in there. What's he have? Seven yeah. eight touchdowns in four games. I mean, easily well, the Adrian, best weapon in the NFL. Did Derrick Henry win MVP or do you have to go back to Adrian Peterson? 
Boy, I feel like I should know that. Scotty, do you know that? <laughs> I think I think he did, but I mean, listen, I'm fine with Josh Allen and Tua, but Pat Mahomes has not had the start to the season to be second in odds. You know, a couple and Jalen Hurts hasn't either. A couple years ago, we were trying to make that case for Jonathan Taylor, honestly, to sure. get some MVP consideration that year that yeah. he carried the Colts to the brink of a playoff berth until Carson Wentz and company. Pissed down their legs. Um, we do right. have some breaking NFL news. The Patriots have traded for Chargers cornerback J.C. Jackson. That's kind of interesting. Yeah, boy, that'll resurrect the Patriots. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know if the, I don't know boy, if defense bad. is their issue right now. Uh, yeah. Jeff Saturday, as Mark said, he appeared on PTI yesterday, and that was with obviously Michael Wilbon and Tony Kornheiser. Really, I can't recall many other times he's been asked about the Colts gig. Here was Jeff Saturday yesterday. So we will get you out of here on this. It's the question you anticipated. It's the question that everybody wants to ask. Someone who was a head coach for eight or nine games, you left broadcasting last year to coach the Colts, your old team. What do you know now that you wish you had known then when you took the job? Oh, that's a great question. You know, uh, first of all, I love the experience. Very few people, it's never happened. So, you know, no one has had it. It's an incredible experience. The, the ability to turn around or, or, or make big shifts in the middle of a season, I didn't realize it would be as much as it was, right? And so when you think about, you know, they had had nine, basically nine months from February of that year uh, until, until uh, November, they had put all kinds of things in. So when you go in to make change, you're trying to build relationships with a staff, with players, kind of all on the fly. And as you're playing these games, you basically get three days, right? It's like, Bang, 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 we're playing again. Bang, 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 you're playing again. And so the amount of time to get things changed or to kind of tweak or put your stamp on it, for lack of a better term, um, those are the things, right? And I remember Tom Moore used to say this. He's he's the great offensive coordinator, Hall of Famer, you know, all the way around. He was with the Steelers, with us at the Colts, and now with the Buccaneers. He's like, men, teams are built from March until August. And then what you are is what you are. We're going to make the most we can of it. Uh, that is a true statement, much truer than I ever believed. But I had a great time. Made, had some great relationships, not only with coaches that I still talk to and players that I still text with and talk with. Um, good people, man. We, we had an absolute blast. Wish we would have won more games. But again, no regrets from my end. Okay, so what's your reaction to that? I mean, I think that was pretty honest. I mean, he didn't he didn't have a chance to really win games. The team was going nowhere. Bad team. You fired the coach. He's in on broadcasting. He was one and seven. I mean, maybe you know a coach that's there maybe wins another game or so. But I mean, there wasn't a lot of setup success there, right? Yeah, certainly walked into a pretty <laughs> yeah. ugly situation. I think the historic nature of the losses, though, were a bit jarring. Uh, but again, in my opinion, there's no reason why he should have been a serious head coaching candidate no. after the cycle, which you know he has been very. I think was very upset by, you know, people like me or people that you know didn't consider him a legit candidate. But uh, I think Shane Steich. I think the Colts are much better think, off with Shane Steich. I think Steichen. they're fine. Can I can I ask you guys this? We have like a minute here. By the way, Adrian just, Peterson was the last yeah. running back to win MVP. 2012, Tomlinson. 2006, Sean Alexander. Shout out to him in 05. And then obviously Marshall Falk in 2000. Now it's uh, obviously a quarterback. So I mean, Brock Purdy up there, please. Uh, even though he's good, whatever. Um, why? I mean, PTI, this is the first time he's been on Get Up and ESPN has Saturday for the last couple of weeks. Why? 
why, why are we tiptoeing around him well, leaving I, broadcasting and going to coach? I, I just don't I know, understand I thought that. To me, it'd be the perfect little July segment to have, insert your host here, Wendy Nix, I don't know, whoever, to sit down with him and boom, in the middle of July, you spend a 10-minute NFL Live segment with Jeff Saturday, kind of a tell-all. I think it'd be interesting. I think it would be the perfect summer content. Uh, yeah, I, I, I don't know why. A, but even like two minutes on Get Up, you have a two, sure. three hour yeah. show. I mean, Jeff Saturday's back. Well, what? Where did he, where did he go? Well, right. he left to go yeah, be the we're coach just of the Colts. The yeah, elephant. I, I didn't understand it. In Whatever. the room, just a reminder of how long it's been. By the way, since the Colts have last won a home game, it was before the Jeff Saturday Jeff Saturday era began. Uh, these were the Colts' leaders. The last time that they won a home game, you had Frank Reich as head coach, Matt Ryan as their passer. Deion Jackson, Philip Lindsay were their oh, running backs. Philip uh, Lindsay, your guy, yes. Bo- Bobby Okereke, yeah, okay. their leading tackler. Yeah. You got to go back again to mid October of last season. Uh, everybody have a great Wednesday. We will chat with you tomorrow. It's a wake up call with KB and Andy. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you.